The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. What is at eye level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. for the moment BTR tried to prevent us from having. You're listening to Weird Things Inside the Gold Pond, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, Spanish horror. Up online network of the third seasons of Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Louis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. Tonight, <laughs> well, we've already spoken at length in prior episodes to Jess Franco, El Hombre Lobo, Paul Nashi, and the director of The Blind Dead, Amando Diaz Sorio. Tonight, we fill in the gaps in the short-lived but much-beloved Spanish horror scene. So we'll be touching on everyone from Nashi collaborators Leon Klamowski, Carlos Arred, and Javier Aguirre, to the likes of Eugenia Martin of Candle for the Devil and Horror Express, Jorge Grau of uh, Like Soup and Corpses Lie, Eloy de Iglesia of Cannibal Man, Narciso Ibanez Cerrador of Who Can Kill a Child, and House of Screened, Jose Larraz of Vampires and Black Candles, Vincente Aranda of The Blood Spatter Bride, Claudio Garin of The Bell from Hell, and Pieces, Slugs, Pod People, Helmsman, Juan Piquet Simone, and many more. So join us for a final exploration of the grim world of Spanish horror, only here in Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. So I'm Doc Savage. Uh, with me is my co-host, Louis Paul. And uh, Blog Talk tried to prevent us from getting on tonight. <laughs> they wouldn't let me Skype into the uh, the usual they line for some unknown reason. They must be Hillary Clinton's people. That's it. It's, it's the friggin' Clinton trolls. That it's super pack that she pays to have people trolling the Internet. <laughs> they said, oh, you like Bernie Sanders, so... We're going to prevent you guys from going on. Like, fuck you. <laughs> it, this election is so disgusting at this point. Uh, it's it's so beyond rigged. I don't care where you stand. You've got to admit that the system is rigged, and it's rigged against all of us. So that's all i got to say on that yeah, point. <laughs> you, you know, uh, if we could take a minute and 30 seconds to discuss yeah, this, which I'm sure you've been doing on other shows, Yes, it's actually uh, surprising me how, like, 
people who were like uh, leaning toward Bernie are suddenly posting weird shit on Facebook. Like uh, one of the guys I wrote for, I write for, the other day posted something. Well, you know, like you could see that, you know, the Bernie people are, are, aren't giving up like they should and joining the Hillary. Now, what? Hey, wait a minute, man. You live, in the mid- you live in the Midwest. You have an idea what happened here like two weeks ago? People showed mm-hmm. up. Polling places weren't open. Machines weren't working. Uh, that's not good. And the guy who says I'll investigate it is a Hillary Clinton supporter. Right. He, and I, I th- Auburn, yes. uh, those 150,000 voters had their registrations mysteriously changed to oh, whatever right. independent or something yes. so they couldn't vote. I mentioned that as well. And I, I was mm-hmm. like, but I didn't want to go too far because then I, I, I would feel my anger come out. And yeah. I was like, I see, but I see that a lot. I see that. It's the funny thing. It used to be us versus them. Right. Now, I, I'm sure people listening are, uh, some of you might be Republicans and that's cool and you believe what you want and vote for whoever you want. We're not going to knock you. Everybody got the thing they got to do. Yeah. But we believe this and we believe should the country should be going this way rather than that way. And that's all it is. But, this is schism, and de- I've never seen a schism in a Democratic Party before like this. Right, this exactly. And honestly, and, there wasn't this much of yeah. one in the Republican Party before, unless you count the Goldwater years, which Hillary Clinton, by the way, was yeah. a Goldwater girl and still is. Uh, <laughs> but beyond that, uh, the only other time we've seen this was with the Tea Party. And that was, for better or worse, you know, right or wrong, it was the same thing. It was people saying, you know what? This system does not work for us anymore. It's working for a couple of dark money billionaires, and fuck them. You know, fuck these corporations that are taking all our money and shoring it overseas and not paying taxes and everything else and giving our jobs to foreigners and every other goddamn thing. We need this system to work for us like it's supposed to, by the people, for the people, like it says in the goddamn Constitution. And yet, here we go with the DNC, rigging votes, just like they complained about back in 2000 with you know the, the George W. Bush thing against uh, Al Gore. Yeah, mm-hmm. that it worked for them. It's going to work for us. No, two wrongs do not make a right. Hillary, you know what's her name there? Deborah Wasserman. You're as big of a shithead as Jeb Bush was. Fuck you, lady, mm-hmm. and fuck Hillary Clinton. And I will do anything possible to prevent this woman from getting in the White House. I don't care who's against her, unless it's Ted Cruz, who's just a lunatic. So, um, yeah, Ted Cruz. Uh, <laughs> that guy's crazy. He what is, did he announce smart. yesterday? I have a running mate for vice president. What are you, crazy? <laughs> uh, Why would she go with him? This is the guy that's banning masturbation and stuff. Uh, you know, he, he was against dildos. This guy's crazy. The guy's actually a lunatic. He actually thinks he has the right to control your body, whether you're a male or female. Well, you know, the rumors are that, that they're, they're going to try to stop him at the voting stage at the convention, and they're going to bring in Mitt Romney. Oh, Which uh, Bill Kennedy? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I mean, out of all the maniacs, he's the lesser of all the evils. <laughs> right now. Well, isn't it sad so, that we've got to talk about like the lesser of not just the lesser of two evils, like usually presidential elections are, but the lesser. It, it was like a joke that I shared on uh, on the other show the other on Monday. Uh, which dumpster fire looks most appealing, you know? <laughs> which yeah. which candidate, if you were, the election was held today, would you never in your life vote for? I mean, really? That's what we're down to? Come on. 
I've never seen an election that was more not just divisive, but where there are no choices whatsoever. It's like a, a third world country, you know, where they used to have those fake elections and they, the guy would stand there with a gun to your head and say, hey, vote for El Presidente or else. And if you said no, not only would you get shot in the head or thrown into like the local gulag, but, you know, they would rig the ballot boxes anyway and like burn the, the other votes and switch them over. Oh, yes, he voted for El Presidente. No, he didn't. Uh, yes, so, yes, yes. But, but, but Martin Landau and makeup would save you. Right, of course. But that, <laughs> that's what we need. We need Mission Impossible. We need the uh, what, what do they call it? the Impossible Missions Force, the IMF, to come. The in. I- IMF. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take down Hillary Clinton. Take down the whole crap that's going on on the right there. Forget about it. Let's, let's straighten this whole thing out and get a candidate. Yeah, in that's yeah. For yeah get Ethan Hunt for damn. We we actually like the last one. So get Ethan Hunt in here. Where are you? <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, but we're speaking to Spanish horror tonight. Um, yeah. Well, we you know, actually just got a talent. I will say this before you jump on and hold your thought. Yes. Uh, this okay. was actually perfect to bring this political stuff in, which I usually don't like to do on the show that much. You know, maybe a little bit here and there, but uh, because we're talking about a nation that suffered for decades under Generalissimo Francisco Franco, who was a fascist. Yes. Who had the same ideas as Ted Cruz about telling you what you should be thinking, how you should be living your life, your morality. He's going to legislate morality to you. And that's why Spanish horror was so subversive. And then you know, right. when Franco was deposed, basically, finally, uh, or he died. I forget what the deal was. Uh, the floodgates just opened and it went nuts. So there we go. It's actually a perfect yeah, day for yeah. this guy. And, and, and somebody we discussed at length over several episodes, the last one being a mind-boggling, I think it's three three hours plus. Yes. Um, Jess Franco, uh, in an interview I did with him, uh, was very outspoken, expletive <laughs> all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I actually put that, I think it's on my Facebook page under notes if you guys anybody's in listening interested in taking a look at that because um, I, I actually wrote it for a small press publication many years ago a very small press publication not the one you're thinking of yeah and uh, nobody was interested at the time because it was still early it was uh uh Early in the 2000s, late 90s, when people were still loving Jess, but not going gaga. And then, like, a couple of years later, everybody's coming out. I spent five seconds with Jess Franco, and then it was like a book. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he really spoke a lot about that and how oppressive it was. And, uh, you know, as a guy that, you know, love him or hate him, he really spoke well about that whole scene there politically and how it affected him. Personally, um, one thing I wanted to squeeze in here, hopefully if we have time tonight, um, it goes beyond the the uh, uh, the Spanish hour we're talking about tonight. If we have some time, I really enjoyed not all of them, but some of, of the REC, the Rec films, Record, okay, uh, which are later Spanish horror pictures, and uh, I, I saw two that fucking knocked my socks off, and. Uh, <laughs> That that was like, well, I think I'll just watch these because they're in my Netflix queue, and uh, I like that. I like if I see something and I don't know, I don't have expectations going in, and uh, right. no, oh, it's okay. It's a recent Spanish horror movie, and I'm like, oh wow, this was good. And so I will say this though, that, 
if yeah. we don't have time tonight, we can always throw it in in a couple of weeks when we do our uh, South of the Border show. When you know, with like people like uh, Amelia Vieira and uh, Amanda Bowen as well, Sarley, and of course Scott and Joe. So we may have some time yeah. into that if, uh, tonight. I have some time tonight. So here we are tonight. Yes. So here we are. Uh, basically, we are. We had discussed kind of filling in the gaps because we touched what most people, and myself included, think are the most important directors in Spanish horror. You know, there's no question you can't get away from Paul Nashi. You can't get away from Jess Franco. And we even did Amanda de Osorio. So now it's people that have, you know, two episodes, you know, two films worth of damn. And after that, it's like, eh, you know, <laughs> there's nothing much else that you care about in their filmography. Um, so or, some or, of these people, or there, or there, uh, not to not to interrupt you, but or their work yeah. was uneven, and they had a couple of really good pictures, and a couple of really or, bad ones, or many bad ones, or or they didn't make <laughs> too many films. And and when we talked about Italian horror, we did discuss a couple of people here and there who only made like one or two. You know, we're doing Anna Pacelli, who made a, quite a few movies, but he only made one or two or three. That worth discussing. The rest were like, yeah. So yeah, we're going to so have a lot of that tonight. Think yeah. of this as the, an equivalent, like you had just mentioned, to the Italian sleaze show. Uh, this is not necessarily a Spanish sleaze show, but it's the same idea. We've got like, eh, I don't want to say lesser directors. I don't want to tar them with that brush. But guys who really want to do one to three films that you're going to give a shit about. And after that, it's like, even if they had long careers, like, yeah, who cares? It's mainstream bullshit. They work for TV, whatever. Uh, so, uh, I guess, and actually some of these people, like what's going to happen right here, uh, are better known for working with people like Nashi or Franco or, you know, on and on and on, uh, yeah. like Leon Klamowski. Um, basically, let's see, my list goes backwards. He was in there working since 1948, uh, doing mostly what it seems to be a lot of comedies, honestly. Uh, if you're looking at the titles and translating them like I'm doing at the moment, uh, he did a Western or two. He did uh, one of the many, many, actually two of them, uh, Django titled or retitled, uh, what do they call them, paella westerns? Uh, those of you, if we ever talk spaghetti westerns, uh, those of you familiar with uh, the, the Spanish offshoot of this, they look very similar, but the feel is usually darker and more oppressive, kind of like you get with Spanish horror films. Uh, and they don't work as well. They're quieter. They tend to be have explosions of extreme violence and uncomfortable things like rape, and then it just it's dead in between. You know, you just want to fall asleep. Uh, so he did a couple of them, which was uh, namely a few dollars for Django, uh, which actually apparently had Enzo Castellari co-directing at some point, uh, and Anthony Stefan was in that one, and another one called Django: A Bullet for You. Uh, I'm not sure if I've seen that one. I have seen a few dollars for Django with one of those many, uh, you know, 50 film, 20 film spaghetti western sets that are out there uh, in you know questionable quality, of course. Um, so you know, I can't say too much about those unless you want to dig into them. But really, uh-huh. where he starts getting known, if you will. Oh, and he did another one. Reverence Cult is another one, and a bullet for Rommel, which is you know war movies. He did a couple of war movies in there. Um, he did a bunch for uh, Paul Nashi, uh, like The Werewolves versus the Vampire Woman. Uh, he did Dr. Jekyll and the Wolfman, which was a hilarious one. Loads of fun. Highly recommend that if you haven't seen it. Um, it's good. It's a good movie. Vengeance of the Zombies, another really good one I, I always enjoyed. Um, the Dracula Saga was 
probably the first film that Spanish horror people are going to think of. Oh, he cut out on his own and started making movies. I have mixed feelings on this one. I will tell you that my drummer from my fabled band way back in the day was a huge fan of this one. He just loved – you ever see uh, this, the French film Sleep of Death? Uh, he yeah. really liked that sort of hammer-esque, uh, really slow-moving costume epic. You know, like, uh, okay, it's from whatever it is, 1860 or something like that, or 1680 or whatever. And all the women are in the funny dresses, and the guys are in the, the great coats and whatever the hell else. Oh, that, got, course, oh that's buggies. Swiss. That was Swiss, I think. Was Swiss it? Sleep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that style of movie. movie. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, that style of movie. So Very slow. Yeah. Dracula Saga is that, uh, but it involves more of like obviously a familial thing. Uh, so you've got some, I guess, twisted family dynamics. In some respects, it reminded me of a much more serious and much more boring uh, take on Malenka, like when we talked about the Desorio films a few weeks back. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. That's very good, but, yeah. Uh, Helga Linné is in it, which helps a lot. I always liked her. Uh, and a couple of people you'll recognize from uh, Nashi films, like Maria Costi and Bitsaba Ruiz. Um, there's a fellow named Narcisa Ibanez Menta in there. And I was like, hmm, is that, is that in relation to Narcisa Ibanez Serrador? But, you know, there's just a... a, a the surname, if you will, it's not the last name, so uh, coincidence, I'm sure. But basically, I think Tina Saint, Saints was a starlet in that, correct? Maybe I don't see her name in the list that I pulled up, but again, like I mentioned oh. previously, I pull out names that I recognize or I think that the audience will recognize from other cult films. Okay, so I might have just yeah. ignored it. She, she um, did, yeah, I don't, she's in that, and I don't think she made many films. Yeah, yeah see, that's probably why. Um, but you know, looking at this film. All right, you know, those of you who were lucky enough like myself to get it when be Okay, yes, you know, everybody's glad to have this thing. But is it worth seeking out, especially if, uh, as you indicate a lot of the Nashi films, the collector's market has insane prices on these things? No fucking way. It is boring. Um, you know, it's atmospheric, yes, but there's so many better films. In the, even in similar genres, like, you know, even the horrible sexy vampire is a lot more entertaining and sexy. Um, this one is kind of, it's got that morbid feel to it that a lot of Spanish films have. Uh, it's definitely, obviously, a vampire thing. They've got the castle setting, but it's just so slow and dull. And uh, it, in some respects, it also reminded me of, but again, without the entertainment factor, uh, the Roland film. I think it was uh, Thrill of the Vampires, where the two gay mm -hmm. vampires are trying to bring the girl into it. It's like, oh, you were really part of our family, and here's your castle and inheritance. Uh, it's the same idea. They're bringing this girl in and trying to bring her into the family, and I don't know. It's just – I'm not a fan of it. I never was. So how about you? Is there anything you wanted to say about that you didn't already jump in with? Well, it also, it also had um, a bit of queasy – uh, a nerviness toward toward the mid part toward the end because the girl becomes pregnant. So yes, so in the Rosemary's Baby thing there that angle. Yeah, I think it was Tina Sainz S I N Z S I yeah whatever her name is. And um, it very it got very weirder, y'all you know, more weird. And uh, but it, it's still with all these. Thrills, all this song going on. You know, let's 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 get the shovel of shit in here, and just throw in all these other weird things, these other weird angles. It just moved too slowly, and it just became a mood piece. 
Mm-hmm. Then again, though, I mean, for those who like mood pieces, this might work better for you yeah. than other things. You know, uh, to each his own, of course. Um, yeah, I kind of agree with you. I, I, I just wasn't thrilled with it. it. It was It's an okay film. I think something weird and possibly sinister also put this out at some point. Uh, right now, I don't know where it lies. Right. Um, so let's see. What else did he do? He was, interestingly enough, the original director on a film that most people know as Mean Mother, which Al Adamson took over. Uh, it was one of those – who's the guy he worked for? Sam Sherman. Um, those – whatever his in, independent international orbit whole film company was. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They would – co-opt some of these films from Europe and sometimes they just edit them down and you know, shoot them out there with a Lord campaign and there you go and that's the way we've known them from TV and some of these became our beloved films later on uh, of various directors but you know especially things like Nashi um, but with this one for some reason they decided that even though if you watch the parts of it that clearly are Spanish you know it's an entertaining enough crime film of maybe the late 60s uh almost bordering on Eurospy which we'll be doing uh somewhere late in the season uh this coming season I should say uh but for some reason he decided to tack on cuz this is 74 now uh tack on elements of black exploitation so they get Dobie Gray, who was actually a singer, uh, who had a hit on the radio. What, what was it, Doc of the Bay? What, what was Dobie's uh, big Drift song? Drift Away. Remember? Drift Away, that was Drift it. Away. Um, and, all right, you know, there's nothing wrong with his parts. I mean, it's not like a fantastic black exploitation film in that respect, but it just doesn't jive. You can tell it's like, um, who the hell else used to do this besides Al Anderson? Um The fellow that did those, Godfrey Ho. It's like a Godfrey Ho job. Where he's just chopping two films together and it's dead freaking obvious what he's doing. Uh, does it work? Does it not work? I don't know. I mean, I got a poster for it from uh, the company that had put out Mean Mother, which is music. Uh, you know, I was entertained enough by it, but really, even though I'm a black exploitation fan, as we had done the films uh, a couple weeks back, we talked black exploitation, uh, I really prefer the Klamowski parts. What you can find, and it's kind of like when uh, they bastardized uh, uh, what the hell is that? Lisa and the Devil into House of Exorcism. You know, I don't really care for the House of Exorcism parts. I was always watching for the Lisa and the Devil parts, and now that I have the original, I never even revisit the other one. This would be the same thing. If I've had the original version of what became Mean Mother, I wouldn't even be touching the Dolby Gray version. Uh, but you know, again, it is what it is. It's sort of a unrecoverable mishmash of, you know, on one half you've got like Luciano Paluzzi running around, and the other half you've got, you know, Marilyn Joy and Dobie Gray. So I don't know. It's um, interesting, I guess, you know, depending on how low you go on the bottom feeder scale. Yeah, to my understanding, Dobie Gray is in the original. Really? And, and Frederick Forsyth, I think he's the guy you're thinking of uh, uh, from the Eurospy thing. He's in that. Uh, he was in right. Hitchcock's Topaz. They tried to make him big over here. Um, so, but they brought everybody. What's the funny thing about this movie is, and it's the weird thing about Alice, and a friend of mine actually worked with Alice, a photographer and editor for many years. We should right. probably bring this guy on at some point. He's He's got stories you wouldn't believe. <laughs> um, so this is like a 1968 movie, or thereabouts. And they reshot stuff, and I mean, sorry, they shot stuff in 72. Right. Can you believe that? 
Yep. And yeah. that's about when they put, pumped it back out again with as a black exploitation film, which is so bizarre. You know, we're talking about massive re-editing. Everybody's like five years older. Um, so it's it, it's like a different movie from what it was. Um, I think I may have seen the other version in French. Because really? there was a period. Yeah, yeah. There was a period uh, when I was like really curious about things like that. I wouldn't say I was anal attentive. I was like, I really interested what this might have been, and I, it was it was kind of rather dull. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm watching a Spanish film or French. What do you want? But <laughs> um, and it was rather talky. So here they kind of I think they jazzed it up with a little you know judicial cutting, some some. Shooting probably in New York or wherever right. West Coast. Wherever. I think Al Adamson was a, a East Coast-based guy, and then it got too expensive. He went out to the West. So, uh, yeah, either way, it doesn't work. But, yeah, that's the story with that one. And just on the note that you had mentioned since you brought it up, I would love to do an Al Adamson show. I have pretty much everything the guy ever did. You know, Again, bottom-feeding stuff is like Milligan, you know. Uh, but I do enjoy it for what it is. So, yeah, that would be a great idea if you can grab your friend. Some and... of his films are bizarrely entertaining. Some may even edge toward the creepy scale, like Dracula versus Frankenstein. Uh, I thought you were going to say Carnival Magic. That was kind of creepy in its own way. <laughs> yeah, so's the uh, other. So's the other. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I definitely. Oh yeah, we should consider that. Yeah. Uh, so then he does another one, which was uh, the Vampire's Night Orgy, and this is actually one of my favorites of these Spanish yes. horror jobs. I mean, even including stuff like Nashi. Um, it feels sort He's of like a Nashi film, but it's very dark. Uh, you want to talk about effective atmosphere? Basically, this it's it's the same line as Devil's Nightmare, the French Belgian film which we talked about during our uh, our Viva La France show. Uh, same idea where this tour bus goes up there with a bunch of you know all sorts of people, disagreeable people, likable people, sexy girls, you know, ugly guys like Jack Taylor, uh, <laughs> and. You know, it ends up being they wind up in this place up in the mountains that nobody's ever heard of. This little abandoned bus village. They, yeah, the bus breaks down. They go and serve themselves. Can we do a show about there. movies where the bus breaks down. <laughs> There's a lot. Of them. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Yeah, uh, it's a trope. It, it, it goes back to gothic fiction, for God's sakes. Uh, uh, yeah, but, yeah, Vampire in the Ballerina, um, uh, Monster of the Opera, all those things. Have oh, those I love those. Yeah, those kind of gothics. Maybe we'll do that someday. Uh, but yeah. anyway. They break down. They start serving those food. You know, places already got a fire going. Everything else is like a tavern, uh, tavern inn, I should say. You know, because you can sleep there as well. And all of a sudden, once night falls, the people mysteriously appear, and they meet the mayor. And you know, all, you know, basically, they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll help you out. Just come here, be comfortable, whatever. Uh, serve you some food." And they start noticing things are a little strange. And you know, all of a sudden, the bus driver disappears. You know, after trying to fix the bus, uh, they find you know, okay, let's have some dinner, and they serve him up some nice fresh meat, which of course turns out to be the bus driver. And people start. Uh, eventually discovers a town full of vampires. So in a respect, it's almost like that Brigadoon thing that um, Herschel Gordon Lewis was tapping into with 10,000 Maniacs, uh, but it's much darker than that. It's got that Euro feel. And of course, most of it's set at night, and it's very creepy. And depending on which version you get, 
I think the one that BCI put out was unfortunately cut and shitty, uh, but there was a version where uh, Deanna Zurakowska, there's uh, two hotties in there, Helga Linnea again, and Deanna Zurakowska, the blonde girl you might recognize from a couple of Nashi films, uh, and she you know, strips down to the buff and whatever, and Jack Taylor's peeping on her through a keyhole. And that was not in this version. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> really? Come on. Uh, so I don't know why companies release stuff that's edited. It doesn't make any sense. If you can't find the extra parts, you know, find another print, snip them in, you know, it's lesser quality, or don't fucking release it. Nobody wants this edited shit. Uh, <laughs> we're not we're not the UK. We don't have the BBFC looking over our shoulders unless we like Ted Cruz. That's another story. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, it's. Uh, despite that, it's a really enjoyable movie, and if you do find the version that is complete, uh, it's enjoyable in many respects on the prurian angle as well as the uh, the horror angle. Uh, you know, basically, it is what your horror of the era was. You know, you went there for the sex, you went there for the frisson, you went there for the atmosphere, uh, you went there for the weird distancing effect between the, you know, the um, what do they call that, where they record without sound and then the, the dubbing from like the Nick Alexander group or whoever later, oh, or Fernandez group. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so you've got that odd distancing effect in there. Uh, the music, which usually was of a very high standard, especially in Italian horror, an Italian cult, but you know, even so, in Spanish as well, uh, German. Uh, it's a really good film. I always, always considered Orgy of the Vampires to be a top-notch Euro horror per se, certainly a top-notch Spanish horror, and up there rivaling, if not beating, most of you know the similar fare like you know, like I said, of Nashi. Um, or Desorio. So, uh, what uh, what did you want to pitch on this one? Oh no, it's it's one of my one of my personal favorites. Uh, uh, since we entered the DVD and Blu-ray age, I've been hoping that somebody will put it out. To my understanding, Code Red put it on a, a disc with uh, yeah, double feature. I think I have that. Yes, I was with it, but I think it was still edited. Yeah, it was still edited, but it was an extremely short supply, almost to the exaggerated amount of like 50, and then they were mm-hmm. fucking gone. Uh, it was a higher number than that, but it was it was like all of a sudden, if you find it, it's like $290. What? <laughs> um, but anyway, um, hopefully somebody will find the elements and put it out. I, I have hope it'll happen. Now the the movie's good. It's atmospheric. You you mentioned all the cool things about it. It's got you know uh, interesting cast. It's uh, the women or the ladies are sexy. It's got that appre- good oppressive atmosphere. And actually, uh, when we did the Diosario show recently, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was. Or yeah, I think it was. Um, we mentioned a movie, uh, Night of the Seagulls, that we we yes. both liked a lot. And that's a film that, of course, was made after this, but I think he tapped into that same kind of theme, that same kind of atmosphere. It's very similar. And um, it's done really well. Uh, and, and it's also... It's also... Uh, there's a trope we see often in the zombie films, too, where you think, oh, God, they're finally going to get away, get away, you know, our heroes. And then you got this fucked-up ending... Yep, which you know has not not happened before. 
I mean, we can we can trace the stuff going way back. The most, um, you know, the most uh, powerful one is Romero's Night of the Living Dead, the original. But um, for horror films, that is. But um, yeah, but that 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 makes an appearance, and it's like, oh man. <laughs> so it kind of adds to the after effect of watching this whole thing. Yeah, it's a good it's a good little movie. Um, I hope somebody would be interested in checking down the. We're trying to find as many good elements of, as possible and really doing justice to this picture. Anybody who's still alive uh, could be interviewed. Mm-hmm. And God knows we can we can get a lot of uh, goodies on there somewhere, you know, like multitude of trailers or extra bits. Yeah, love to see this again. Nice. Yeah, def- definitely a favorite. Um, so then he did... Uh, the Devil's Possessed for Nashi, which is one I never really liked. It's it's actually a historical. Um, it reminded me a lot of another film that Nashi did around a little bit later called Inquisition. Um, mm. You know, it, it's it's boring, and we discussed it during the Nashi uh, episode. Yeah, uh, it's that whole Giles DeRay thing that uh, who was exactly uh, Gilles Lancre was his uh, title here, but yeah, it was like a Gilles DeRay exactly, uh, but without yeah the, yeah. You know, eerie elements. You know, you're not getting the uh, satanic, homosexual, you know, sex angles, Child the, killer. The, yeah, all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Right? It's not there. You know, it, we're not talking about Labat here. This is noise bomb. But, uh, but that's <laughs> who it's based on, though. You know. Yes, exactly. Uh, so right. you know, you get the idea, but it's not that good. Uh, but then he does another one, which I only vaguely remember. Something called Night of the Walking Dead, with Emma Cohen being the only uh, notable person in it. Um, oh, I saw that. Yeah, do you remember this one at all? Because it, my memories are totally vague. It's, I couldn't even tell you what it's, this is. It's a very slow-moving film. It's almost like it's almost like a a, a romantic vampire film. Uh, 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 you know, like we were talking about the Dracula saga a moment ago, right. and uh, it's in that vein. They were trying to make a movie where this woman comes. It, it happens a lot with Spanish horror. You know, the woman comes to the town. She's a doctor, I believe. And um, she was supposed to take care of an ailing relative. And she falls in love with the Count. Of course, he's a vampire. But this was played on a much more romantic level. For a long time, uh, actually, Holland put this. It came out in Holland, of all places. For a, for a long time, people who really remember bootleg video. Well, I hate to say the word bootleg video about like the trading thing that gray was market, going yeah. on. And buying, yeah, gray market. There you go. Thank you. I'd rather use gray market. Um, you know, somebody found it in the hall and they, you know, somebody got a print of it and uh, a copy of the tape, rather. And, uh, you know, it was making the rounds. And, you know, it was in English, of all things. Um, so, yeah, you found a movie in the Netherlands in English <laughs> that was made in, made in Spain. With okay. Korean subtitles on it. <laughs> I've seen those too. That's the way that it runs um, always. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was slow. I wasn't thrilled. I was actually rather disappointed when I finally did get to see this, and we're talking about in the eighties. And um, Emma Cohen, um, who actually appears in a few Franco movies, so she wasn't really somebody of note. You know, like you would really remember her. Um, she was okay. cute. I think she was in Jorge Grau's, uh Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, as well as uh, Horror Rides from the Tomb for Nashi and a couple of Nashi films, but I think. Smaller roles. Smaller roles. She wasn't Usually. a featured actress. No. 
Well, I think she was the one, the final girl in Horus and the Tomb, but yeah. Wow. And then what? But, no. uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I just remember it being a romantic vampire film. They just tried to do something different. You know, and, which is probably why you only found it in the Netherlands. No one else had it. Uh, So anyway uh, After this he did People Who Won the Dark again for uh, Nashi And again anybody interested Go back and check the Nashi show And that was kind of it I mean he did a couple more films into 78 And that was You know by the time he started getting into 77, 78 The Spanish horror boom had died I mean it was really kind of concentrated In Arguably 69, but I would say more like 72, really, maybe 71, uh, through maybe 75 or 6. That was kind of when all the Spanish horror was going on. And then after that, there really wasn't much. You know, Franco was dead. Uh, things had loosened up. Directors actually started gravitating to porn for a bit, you know, straight up, as opposed to trying to hint a little bit of sex into a horror film or something. Um, and then they just kind of, I guess, went to TV because uh, Klamaski himself was involved with a, a show called Abaraka for nine episodes, or actually six of the nine episodes. Um, you know, so there's really not much more to say about him except that I thought he was one of the better, not the best, but one of the better directors that was involved with Nashi, and he certainly was the most capable of Nashi collaborators on his own. Uh, because none of the other people that worked with him, like Colossal Red, for example, really made anything of note without Nashi, uh, whereas Klamowski was capable of it and, in fact, did. Uh, like we mentioned before, the, uh, the Vampire's Night Orgy is fantastic. Uh, and, you know, like I said, certain people, like my drummer, Francis, really love Dracula Saga, and there's other films of his that are of note. So, you know, I think he was one of the best, and that was a good reason to start with him. Uh, so is there anything else you want to say about him before I move on to the aforementioned Carlos? So uh, Carlos yeah. Arred, another fellow, uh, he, I think, was the best director of Nashi films of then – well, I wouldn't even say of the Nashi himself because Nashi himself is a little more questionable. Uh, he was behind Curse of the Devil. He was behind Horror Rise from the Tomb. He was behind House of Psychotic Women, Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. Uh, he also did The Mummy's Revenge for Nashi, which a little more questionable and, again, never made it to these shores on DVD. I only saw it in the VHS days. Uh, and actually, <laughs> I remember renting it at Blockbuster one time. Um, but uh, that's basically the last time I'd seen it was on VHS. Uh, but outside of doing these Nashi films, which is, you know, okay, we should mention him because he was a director and his name isn't Paul Nashi, he didn't really do Jack. Uh, stuff like The Night of Fury, you think that would be something, but I never heard of it. Uh, the Frigid and the Vicious, what's that? Apocalypse Sexual. I mean, okay, I don't know, is that a horror oh, film? Oh, I, I saw that. I saw that. Did you? I saw that. Yeah, yeah, actually, Lena Remy's in that, actually, of all people. Uh, see, so it is a he does a film after this called El Hombre del Pito Magico, the man with the magic dick. <laughs> the little babe. Man with the little hey, pecker. <laughs> yeah, Apocalypse Sexual also has your favorite, Jeter Wilson. Oh, God. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I remember that these guys kidnap, uh, kidnap actually, Lena, uh, in, a, in a rare non-Franco picture, because this is a little later on. Right. Uh, I was is in with the wrong crowd. Look at that, Peter Wilson, and uh, 
And uh, there's, there, you know, there's like a, there's like revolutionaries and some shit. So much stuff entails and uh, lots of fucking and sucking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, by then the genus totally post up, so you know you really couldn't tell. Yeah. And if it really bothered you knowing, then you're not watching the right movie. But I think the part of that at that point is that since uh, I think when Yajita was in some of these Franco movies, she might have been pre-op. So right. she was striking looking woman, uh, person. And so I, uh, like uh, Mansion of the Living Dead and uh, uh, quite a, quite a few titles. Sadomania? Sadomania. Yeah, I think she might have been pre-op at that time. But then and when she went full post-op and she started doing sex movies, um, it kind of, you know, she was still striking, but she's, the allure was kind of gone there. She just became a really good-looking, very dark-skinned black woman who is now doing porn, you know. Yeah. Italy and Spain. Uh, it's not a great movie, and for a long time people thought that it might have been a Franco movie with Ored's name on it, but no, it just didn't make it. And uh, Lena probably did it just to, uh, maybe because she knew Vegeta and uh, probably was on some kind of yeah, level well, with her. Lena did do a few films without Franco, not many, but I have one a that, uh, who was it, Arthur Browner did, uh, Rolls Royce Baby, which I actually always thought was a Rolls Franco Baby. film, but it's not. That's pretty good. And uh, he yeah. does another one. It's a prison film that I, again, always thought was Franco. Uh, Frauengefangenis or something. I forget what the hell it is. It's one of those uh, things that goes by a cage room, but it's not the one that's officially Franco. It's another one. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. not bad stuff. Uh, but, yeah, she, it was kind of rare that she worked outside of the, the Franco universe. And, again, Browner, he did work for, so, therefore, he you know they knew each other, and so that's probably the connection there. But, yeah, basically, that's I read a, a couple of pornos. Uh, they, those weren't the only ones. There was other ones, like, from girl to woman, and I'm not translating here from Spanish. Uh, but, you know, uh, that was really it for him. He kind of dropped out after that. Um, the last of the Nashi collaborators, unless you want to say something else about our red. Um, yeah was Javier Aguirre, uh, who did do a little bit outside, not much, uh, with Nashi. I mean, he was kicking around since 1961 uh, doing, it looks like beach movies, you know, uh, the beach time and, uh, you know, the hell am I looking at here? Uh, let's see, Song of the, I don't know what Esperanza is, uh, The Boys and Girls. I mean, you know, wait, here's one, uh, A Day in the Year of of Being a Hippie. I mean, what the hell? Uh, like so, you know, weird shit like this. And then he does The Hunchback of the Morgue, which is honestly probably until you start getting to stuff like we had mentioned before, when he started doing the historicals like Inquisition and uh, Devil's Possessed, probably my least favorite of all Nashi films. I really always had a distaste for this one. Uh, and I believe when we talked Nashi, you did as well. Uh, that's the one oh, where yeah. he set the rats on fire and everything. Yeah, it was just yeah. Um he also was responsible for one that people love, but again, I think it's one of his lesser efforts. So Aguirre was not a great director, uh, which was Count Dracula's Great Love, uh, which was totally ill-fitting. Uh, again, you can go back and check the Nashi episode when we talked that. But uh, you know, I think I like that one better than you did. Yeah. 
And now she was a stocky weightlifter type, well-suited to things like, you know, everybody says the Wolfman. I didn't really particularly like him as that. But, you know, the other things he played always fit. You know, he was always like, uh, you know, uh, House of the Broken, uh, Blue House of the Broken Doll. He comes in and he's like, a, you know, a shirtless muscle man, you know, so supposedly, uh, you know, he just got out of jail. Or he comes in and he's uh, this Spanish knight. So, of course, you know, if you've ever seen knights, they're kind of short and stocky back when, if you look at the armor. Uh you know, everything that he did kind of fit his type until he decided to play Count Dracula, which is just like, all right, well, I'll accept it, I guess, except that it was boring and overly romantic, but not in the right way. And it's just, it, you didn't buy it. Uh, so his two films for Nashley were not that great. But then he did, in the middle of a couple of other things, which were, again, it looks like he started doing pornos already. Uh, but he did one called The Assassin is One of the Thirteen, or The Killer is One of the Thirteen. I have unfortunately not seen this one. It's a camera obscura oh, job. Yeah. Uh, I am actually waiting for it to come in. Yeah, I'm waiting for it to come in. I did put an order in with somebody. Uh, but basically, it's a Spanish take on the Jalo, if you will. Yeah. Uh, Patty Shepard is in it, who was in a couple of Nashi films, The Simon Terror War for the Vampire Woman. She was also in My Dear Killer, which was uh, an Italian Jalo. Uh, she was in Witch's Mountain, which I always liked. Uh, Juan Piquer Simone's films, like Slugs. Uh, she was in The Power of Frenchie King when we talked the Bordeaux films. Uh, that's, and that's the one I think it is. I think he plays a cop in that. Um, is it? Okay. I, it yeah, because um, there were two Giallo. Like another one he did was Seven Murders for Scotland Yard. Yeah, that's the Nashy one. This is not Nashy. This one has Jack Taylor in it. Jack Taylor. Okay, but I did see this one. I did see this one. Uh, the only things get interchangeable over yeah, here. of course. That's a trick when you see so many of these damn things. Uh, and once again, the Anna Sorokowska is in it from The Vampire's Night Orger for Kolmowski, Nashi's Hanging Woman, and Francis's Bloody Terror, among other things. Uh, so, you know, it's got a decent cast. You know, there's definitely some lookers in there. Uh, and, of course, you know, if you're into this stuff, you probably do like Jack Taylor. You've seen him enough times. Uh, but, yeah, you know, around. again... I, I can't comment it because I have not seen it yet. And that's really it. Then he starts doing things like, it looks like he's trying to do art film, you know, Daphne and Chloe. And then he does, uh, let's see, weird stuff. Like it looks like documentaries, almost like Children's War and, uh, you know, Consent. And uh, what else are we looking at here? Dog's Life. And, uh, you know, like, what is this? I mean, yeah, again, I'm translating from Spanish, but uh, it doesn't seem like he well, did anything yeah, else. But you, but you have to figure this is the post General Franco period. So these people can actually. They were making. They were making. Uh, I think a lot of these directors were making uh, genre films, exploitation movies, with the hopes of them getting releases internationally. Right, and then possibly getting some kind of money out of a deal, and it's usually probably got screwed. But I think when, when once General Fran, uh, Francisco Franco, Franco. died, um, I think they were able to do things probably that meant something to them. You know, whether they were for us or not, or good or bad. I think I think yeah. that, you know to, to make documentaries to make um, children's films, you know, they could do whatever the hell they want. It was uh, exactly. message movies. Yeah, so I mean, these are not cult films, yeah. is my point. But you're right, and political films might have been a big thing too. These are films that they probably wanted to do, or maybe they found lucrative, or maybe they got an offer to do it for the first time. You know, who knows what the deal was? 
but nonetheless. Because uh, then by that time, the need the need to make those kind of pictures that were shown internationally wasn't there anymore. You know? Right. Because exactly. it was also you have to think it was also um, it was also a, a bit of a, a tricky fucking thing to make the kind of pictures they were making under such an oppressive censorship regime. Yep. And so you know that that's that's why we also have so many prints that you know they would make you know like the blue laws version and the non blue laws version. Oh yeah. We had discussed that during the Nashi thing, how much pissed off I was at BCI for pulling over a couple of Nashi films in the clothed prints so they're walking around in these diaphanous gowns and stuff. I'm like, the hell is this shit? I always remember seeing these girls naked. You know, why am I watching this? You know, it's really like but diaphanous you know, is cool too, but still yeah. it's a church lady version, you know, who wants that shit? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, so moving on from him now, unless there's anything else you want to say about uh, Gira, because uh, he was definitely no. the least of the uh, collaborators. Uh, now we get to people that have nothing to do with uh, Nashi for a change. Uh, one of my favorites being the probably much maligned because he's definitely a, a bottom feeder, Juan Piquet Simone. Um mm-hmm. He was kicking around since 64 here and there doing documentaries, but really he only started making movies in 77, uh, which strangely enough is actually past the period of Spanish horror. So he was kind of um, almost like an afterthought. You know, like, why did this guy start making films then? You know, now that Spanish horror is dead, the whole you know cult thing is pretty much gone. He starts coming out and making things like Where Time Began, which had Frank Branya in it, who was in uh, Return of the Blind Dead for Desorio, You're Seen as Hell Train, Yellow Hair in the Fortress of Gold, shit like that. Jack Taylor is in this. Uh, Louis Barbu, who was in uh, Franco's Dracula vs. Frankenstein, Erotic Rights of Frankenstein, Female Vampire. Deborah Watling, who was Victoria on Doctor Who, is in this. How weird is that casting? Um, you know, it's a what do you want to call it? Sci-fi take on, I don't even want to say Jurassic Park. It's more like, do you remember those like Journey to the Center of the Earth type films they were doing during yeah, the yeah. late 70s? I think that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. I remember seeing some of those in the drive-in as a child. I was like in the backseat watching this crap. Uh, my father loved that stuff. And, you know, this is definitely one of those. I'm almost positive I had seen it at one of these drive-ins. Um Later on, he does another one that's uh, similar for, called uh, Mystery on Monster Island, uh, which had uh, Paul Nashi in it, but in a bit part, uh, with Terrence Stamp and, and Peter Cushing. Cushing. Yep, Frank Branya again. Gerard Titchy, another guy who pops up in weird stuff. This guy was in Compañeros, Summertime Killer, $100,000 for Ringo. Uh, so he's doing some Italian stuff, but then he does Mystery on Monster Island, The Blancheville Monster, again Italian, The Sorio Sea Serpent. Uh, pieces for Piquet Simone, Nashi's Hanging Woman, and Beast of the Magic Sword. Like, really? The guys look everywhere at the time. Uh, Louis Barbu again. So basically, these two films, okay, they're, they're uh, separated by about four years, but it's the same basic genre. You know, you're talking about this sort of uh, Pellucidar, you know, Jules Verne-ish, uh, you know, discovery of uh, almost like the comic books with the Savage Land. Oh, look, there's Kazar in the Savage Land with Sabu or all the, the tiger's name was. Uh, that kind of a film. I guess you could call them like um, Boys' Own Adventures in a way, those of you who are familiar with the British uh, magazine. Um and then he starts doing, in the middle of this, uh, a weird film that wound up, I think it wound up on uh, Mystery Science, one of those sort of things, uh, called Supersonic Man, 
uh, with Cameron Mitchell oh, yeah. as the evil doctor yeah, yeah. and Frank Branya again. Uh, it's very similar. If it's not the one that they showed on Mystery Science, it's very similar to the one one of the ones that they did, like the Puma Man. Uh, not quite as stupid, but close. You know, a guy going around in a cape. It's, it's an attempt to make a superhero film, probably in the wake of Superman, but with zero budget and a really campy sense of humor in it. Um, again, it's entertaining enough. I wouldn't run out to get it if I were you, but, uh, you know, it, it's if you're into this sort of thing, you might enjoy it. Uh, and he did – now, what he's probably most fam- famous for, excuse me, is Pieces. Now, I had remembered avoiding this for years because there was a point where I finally got into the slasher film. I finally started to appreciate it. But I was always of the mindset that, you know, first of all, I'm into the atmospheric horror. You know, I'm into the old fairy tales and, you know, uh, the idea of supernatural uh, forces impacting our lives and things like that, as opposed to Joe next door gets pissed off at his job one day and starts going hacking up all his neighbors. That doesn't really scare me. That's just kind of like real life and annoying and, and depressing. Um, mm-hmm. But later on, I discovered the peculiar charm of the 80s slasher and the idea that you basically hate everybody on screen and you're just there to watch them. Well, wait, they took the clothes off. It, oh, they smoked a joint. Now nope, they're going to die. And here comes the stupid slasher that's invincible and never gets killed for some reason. And, you know, they've got a weird charm to them, which is distasteful but amusing if you're in the right mindset. But at the time, I was like, eh, I don't know about this stuff. I mean, I even avoided for a long time the uh, the Italian zombie uh, thing just because of all the, you know, the eyeballs being gouged and heads being ripped off and every other thing. And it actually took a fellow who was a hippie back in the day uh, who was really into this stuff to get me into this stuff. And he started introducing me gradually. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. What have I missing out on? So Pieces is one of those. I discovered it pretty late. Uh, Might have been as recent as like eight years ago or somewhere around there. It was before the DVD came out. But it wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was within a decade or so. Um, but I'll tell you, I enjoy the shit out of it. And not just, you know, because what happened is the DVD is what really changed it. Uh, the one that I think Grindhouse put it out. Because they, instead of just being this distasteful, uh, you know, 18th party gray market thing, like, you know, a friend of mine was trying to show me, really muddy thing. It was one of those uh, things you get like in the dollar bin. Uh mm. All of a sudden, here it was in a nice clear print. It was uncut, and there was this track on it where it had an audience participation sort of thing. They actually filmed an audience where they showed this film, and the audience was like – it was like Rocky Horror. They were just going nuts and laughing at all kinds of inappropriate shit. and yeah, It, it was just – hilarious you're watching it and it's like what would have been stupid or boring or gruesome or whatever you know you just would have went over your head and ignored it, who cares uh all of a sudden became like hilarious so i really really appreciated that and really got into this film because of it and actually it kind of got me into picard simone and that's where i started finding all the other films of his uh for better or worse uh christopher george is in it um, who i love anyway go ahead yeah yeah no, pieces. Uh, I have a really interesting story about pieces. Is that uh, for years I worked in this really artsy place. It was actually New York Public Library for the performing arts. Woohoo! So like there was there was a crowd of freaks and there was a crowd of the hoity toities, mm-hmm. and and there was a crowd of people like you wouldn't believe. The stuff we're talking about now is nothing. So. <laughs> Um, there, but there was a there was a guy very much in the theatrical arts, and he knew people like um, 
Eli Wallach, you know, from his theater career, and Josh Mostel, and all these people, and, you know, uh, Helen Hayes. Nice guy. We kind of got along pretty well, and the funny thing was, this guy, and this is before I had seen it, he said, you know my favorite movie is Pieces, a Spanish horror movie. Like, I, I like this kind of stuff. I don't think I know this one. He was trying to explain it to me in the most erudite manner. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I can just picture that now considering the plot here. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For decades, he still loves it. And, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and uh, you could not place it. This guy, he was a personal friend of Jonathan Fred. That's how I met the one and only time I met Jonathan Fred, too. Okay. Um, uh, but, yeah, so you can tell what kind of crowd he ran in. But, <laughs> um, yeah, not the genre thing, you know, not conventions, not that kind of thing at no. all. Uh, but this guy loved pieces. What the fuck? <laughs> and... And I think I saw it in his place or something, or he brought the tape to a mutual friend's, uh, a mutual gay friend's party, and uh, or get together, and you know they're saying, "I'm going to put on pieces now." And I'm like, "Oh wow!" <laughs> so <laughs> I I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm kind of like you. I mean, I saw all these, I saw a lot of these slasher movies in the theater, buddy. And I and what I didn't see in the theater, I saw on VHS tape when it was still cheap to rent, you know, like a dollar, two dollars. But pieces is a very interesting picture for a lot of reasons. This, yeah, you were just saying before I, I I jumped in there, Christopher George is in it. Um, yeah, and actually, you know, the, since you mentioned the fact that this guy running with a particular crowd and you know being gay and like you know, the, there's a reason this film in particular appeals to a gay audience because. There's this whole, without giving much away, there's this whole sort of subtext about this kid and his mother, you know, his childhood trauma, and it's just uh. so ridiculous and over the top. It almost makes you think of the, you know, sort of like the mommy dearest thing. You know, like wow, this is just you, you get a laugh. There's no way you could take it seriously. Uh, it, it goes into John Waters territory. Well, yeah, right. You hope yeah. not. But it goes into John Waters territory. So if you take it seriously, you got a lot of problems. Uh, but um, and the dialogue is ridiculous, and this is really over the top thing. I mean, there's this guy going around with a chainsaw, and there's a, a head, a severed head in the toilet, and. I mean, it's just, oh, it's you know, the big Paul Smith too. Paul Smith, right? That's his name. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I mean, Christopher George, who I love, who's in uh, <coughs> Fulci's uh, City of Living Dead. Paul Smith otherwise known as Case Hell. And Robert Altman's Popeye. <laughs> wow, Bluto. Uh, Linda Dejours, who is his annoying wife, is in this one, and that's probably another reason I like her because she's so shrill and irritating. She's talking about neurotic. Uh, <laughs> Frank Braun is in it again. Edmund Purdom is in this freaking thing. Talk about cult, uh, whatever. Yeah, he's from uh, D'Amato's Absurd and Ator, uh, Lindsay's Nightmare City, DeLeo's Mr. Scarface, Invaders of the Lost Gold, Don't Open Until Christmas. Don't Open Until Christmas. Yep. Thanks. Jack Taylor's in this one uh, with a prominent part. Gerard Titchy's in it. I mean, this film is like cult film gold in a lot of respects. Uh, but it's got all the good stuff about Euro horror, but it's really moving more into camp 
and then yeah. touches of the slasher film. But don't even think slasher film and don't necessarily think you're a horror. Think camp. I mean, this film is ridiculous. Um, to describe it, like you had mentioned, I won't get into it more than what I already said, but it sounds like, oh my God, this is really a gruesome, you know, whatever the hell you think it could be for something disgusting, like a torture porn film or some shit, Eli Roth. And yet you watch it and you're. Your reaction, I imagine, you know, if you saw it without that sort of an audience, a sort of an appreciative audience like you did or like I did with the commentary track, uh, you know, you would still be like, what the fuck am I watching? Is this for real? Uh, and when you got that kind of an audience that has the right attitude about it, it's a party film. There's no two ways about it. This is everything that I love about Code Red as a label taken to, uh, you know, multiply it to, by a factor of 10. It, it is really loads of fun. And... You know, I imagine they must have released it again since, but if they haven't, it's worth check, checking down that uh, – I think it was Grindhouse uh, put out the uh, two or three DVD set and just watch it. Don't watch it straight. Watch it with that audience participation track because you know, all of a sudden they'll be laughing like, what the fuck are you laughing at? That's disgusting. All of a sudden you start laughing yourself. I mean, it's that kind of a thing. Uh, very, very amusing film. Uh, I love pieces, and it is the main reason I love Picard Uh So, anything else you want to say about that one before I move on to his other two films of no, note? No. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, he also did a film that was on Mystery Science Theater as Pod People, but you know they tend to have edited versions, and they're too busy making their own jokes, which you know, for better or worse, kind of can detract from your enjoyment of the film per se. I mean, maybe they enhance it, but I mean, it depends on how you're looking at it. I would rather see it without it, and then okay, maybe if I want to watch like a commentary track, then go back and hear theirs as well. And you don't get that option nowadays; they don't do that anymore on their discs. Uh, anyone that did yours got the edited version they used anyway, which sucks. Uh, so I actually found the quote original, which is under extraterrestrial visitors. Uh, and once again, Frank Braun is in it. It's, it reminded me a bit of Paganini horror, uh, not as colorful as that, but if you cross the sensibility of pieces with a cheap sci-fi and cheaper than you can imagine, like think monster dog, I guess, uh, with, uh, like I had just mentioned, uh, Paganini Horror with this whole thing about a rock band that really kind of sucks anyway. They were like a pop band that blows. Uh, recording in a studio, and then there's this whole thing about aliens, and he's trying to pull in E.T., and I don't know what the hell. It's just – it's a complete screwed up uh, Euro cult mishmash on things that were popular at the time. I think he was referencing Starman. I think he was referencing E.T. I think he was referencing, I don't know what, you know, some stupid like teen sex comedy about a band, you know, like Hard Bodies or something, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, it is not as much fun as Pieces but by far, but it's loads of fun. There's bad dialogue. There's ridiculous characters. There's ugly little guys that think that they're tough and sexy. I mean, there's hot girls running around. There's also like goofy yuppie girls running around in bad clothes like on Bananarama or something. I mean, I enjoy the shit out of this film. Uh, so if you've seen it as pod people, you probably already know what you're in for. You know, at least get a good idea there. But you know, if you could seek it out without the uh, unnecessary commentary, if you will, you'll, I'm sure you'll still enjoy it if you enjoyed Pieces. Uh, have you seen this one? You have anything you want to put on that one? I've not seen this one. It's a movie I've not seen. Yeah, it's worth checking out. Uh, and <laughs> then he did his last film of note, which was Slugs. I remember seeing this all the time on USA way back in the day. And I originally had something of a distaste for it. Kind of like, uh, what was the one that uh, Mickey Dolan's daughter, Amy Dolan's, was in? A similar idea. 
that wasn't slugs. That was uh, ah shit. I can't remember. It, was, it wasn't roaches, but they were giant something. Some kind of bugs. Uh, so this one here. It, it, yeah, I mean, you know, people probably know exactly what I'm talking about there in their call film. I can't remember the name of the damn thing. Um, it just came out recently, I think, on Blu-ray, believe it or not, from like Shout Factory, maybe uh, six months, a year ago. Uh, oh, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't think I'm actually glad they put out Amy Dolan's films because there was a time, oh, again, I was a blonde man at the time, uh, when I was totally hot for her and I used to watch everything she was in. And therefore, these are like bringing back memories. Like, oh, yeah, I remember her in Night of the Demons, too. Oh, yeah, I remember her in whatever the hell this was. And, oh, yeah, they just put out, like, Miracle Beach. I even got that. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll check that again. What the hell? Uh, she was really cute. I was like, Amy Dawn's. But, uh, and, and that's just a big joke. It's like, where the hell did you get her from? Must have been the mother. Because <laughs> Mickey Dawn's just kind of weird looking. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, this film was the same idea, but... It's you know, it's slugs. I mean, are you really gonna be scared of slugs? And they're kind of infesting the area. Of course, you know the usual thing is a radioactive mutagen or something, and they go around and they start killing people. So all of a sudden, people start vanishing under the slugs. You know, there's like a, a couple of teenagers there trying to screw in the bedroom, and you know while the parents are away, and then the slugs come in, and all of a sudden they find them in their skeletons, and you know it, it's really stupid. And there's a lot of elements that are kind of trying to be totally gross out. And to some extent, they were at the time. But watching it now, it's more just like, oh, Ticks. That was the Amy Dolan's movie. Yes. Uh, Ticks is oh, yeah, gross. Ticks. Yeah. Uh, Slugs is more entertaining. But it's the same idea. Uh, you know, if you don't mind a little bit of, like, the ick factor and a whole lot of cheap, like, oh, my God, this is so stupid. I'm, I'm laughing at it. You know, again, in the sort of slasher but campy vein, uh, you'll be entertained by this one. And that's kind of what Picard Simone was in the end. He was coming in on the tail end after the Spanish horror really died out, and he was really working more of a slasher meets John Waters vibe. I don't know if it was intentional. I think I've seen an interview or two with him where he was kind of po-faced and acting like, you know, like, like Lindsay, like, oh, yeah, I make great works of art, <laughs> which is funny in itself. But, you know, they're definitely entertaining for what they are. I do enjoy Juan Piquet Simone films, especially pieces, and then pod people, and then slow. It's probably in that order. And then the others are like, okay, yeah, they're fine too. So uh, how about you? Anything you want to say about this one? No, I, I, I have nothing to add to your, to your uh, <laughs> what you All right. to say about Slug. <laughs> so now we're getting into people that are more like, they maybe did one fucking film or two if you're lucky. Uh, Vincente Aranda, uh, who did... The Exquisite, the Exquisite Cadaver with Cappuccino and Teresa Gampera in it. Uh, Teresa Gampera being from uh, Crypt of the Living Dead or Hand of Queen of the Vampires, if you prefer. Uh, and of course, Cappuccino being uh, from like with the Pink Panther and things like that. Uh, what was the film we talked about last time that had Cappuccino in it? Remember we were laughing about that? Uh, oh, she was the kind Photos of, of Joy. The Photos of Joy, that was at Delirium. Because uh, she was kind of yeah. old at that point. But nonetheless. Um, you know, I don't remember a lot about it, but I definitely did see it. You know, it wasn't bad. You know, it's okay for what it is. Um, but the film that he's best known for is The Blood Spattered Bride. The reason that this film was well known for a while is because 
especially in the 70s, uh, the feminist movement was on the rise, and they really took a dislike to this because there is a distasteful scene in here involving a guy cutting off a woman's breast. And, you know, the the fact is that you could kind of pick up from Aranda that he had some sort of an issue with women. Okay, yes, that's there, no question. But, you know, is it as bad as they were making out, especially by standards of things that came in its wake or, you know, contemporaries even? Nah, not really. It's distasteful at points. But uh, but I will say that I never particularly liked it. It's kind of an also-ran where it's like, well, I like Spanish horror. I got this film for under 10 bucks. All right. And I'm glad it's in my collection, I guess. You know, once every 10 years when I pull it out and reassess it or not. Uh, but it's not the kind of thing that I would run out looking for. Despite, you know, it has a reputation. I mean, people have tried to defend it. I remember, I don't know if it was Video Watchdog or, you know, one of these publications where they talk movies and they get a little more serious, and somebody was making a defense for this movie. I'm like, why? I mean, (laughs) I don't really have a a total distaste for it. It's like, oh, God, this is horrible, but it's like, it's it's not a good film either. Why bother? Um... The only thing that's interesting about it, really, other than what I just said, is that of all people, Alexander Bastedo, who was in the Champions, uh, the British superhero spy series that we had mentioned when we did uh, Culper's TV uh, about a month back, uh, she's in this thing. But otherwise, there's nothing to say about it. Uh, what did you think about this one? Oh, it's it, well, you know, it's 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 got it's got. A lot of acclaim from everywhere. I mean, gosh, yeah, I, mean, I remember Bill <laughs> Hardy and was acclaim and hate, but more acclaim. I have to say, Phil, Phil Hardy was one of the first people to really talk it up, and uh, then from there there were other people. I think Cine Fantastic, when the, when it was a good magazine when Fred Clark was still alive, um, was another thing that did a piece on it. Maybe uh, Little Shop of Horrors before they went all Hammer. You know, back in the day, there a lot of, we didn't see these things that easily. You know? Yeah. And so uh, when they did finally turn up, and I actually think this movie is a good point actually to bring up that when this movie, when I first saw it, it was in a very severely truncated version of VHS under some stupid title. You know, a lot of the movies we're discussing tonight when they, when they were available on VHS back in the day, in the 80s, and they were called one thing or another. And there were mm-hmm. a shitload of different labels, and sometimes there were many different titles and different prints. Yep. It was, like, confusing. You'd say, oh, this is another... Hey, wait, this is the same movie. But all of a sudden, it'd be heart-ripped out. Like, wait, you know. <laughs> um, so, I think it's uh, it's arty. It's a tad ponderous and slow... Um, you keep waiting for it to get, because I'm me, sleazier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really, but there are hints of things. There are hints of things. and So, yeah, I think... Well, it's, cutting it's, off the breast was pretty fucking sleazy, but it wasn't sexy. It was just kind of, yeah. No, it, it was not sleazy. It, was, it wasn't sexy either. It was gross. No, but it was gross, yeah. It wasn't, but it was sleazy. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, but when I talk sleazy, I talk different sleaze. Well, you're probably talking about sex. I mean, like saying it was like, okay, this is like a, um, what was it, Play Motel, you know, that sort of thing. Or, or who's the girl that was in it with the big breasts that I actually like as well? Um, oh, was that Patricia Webb. Patricia Webb. 
or Patricia Webb, <laughs> that kind of thing. Okay, that's sleazy, and it implies that, oh, yeah, it's also kind of sexy. You'll enjoy this, but it's also kind of like you wouldn't show it to your girlfriend. Uh, whereas this is just, I don't know, it's just distasteful. I mean, I didn't really care for it at all. No, I, I never liked it. Uh, 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 when it all comes down to it, I, I never liked it. I always, Actually, after seeing it, I wondered with all the acclaim... You know, um, why would, I, I could never figure out why these people loved it. And you know, I understood why the feminists hated it, but you know. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, somebody can write it. I've seen people, I think Maitland McDonough wrote something really interesting about it, something very heady. So, you know, she wrote the Argento book, Broken Mirrors, right. Broken Minds. Great book. I, I, great I book. Remember, yeah, great book. I, and uh, she writes a lot about erotic horror. Yes, uh, I have one of those books. Fifty most erotic were made or some shit back in the nineties. <laughs> yeah, and I remember uh, reading uh, something she had written about this, and uh, you know, she writes very well. I mean, it's just yeah. that no, it didn't work for me. I'm not sure. I see there are things I could see, like which we're probably going to discuss tonight that uh, mm-hmm. yeah, work on the level that. This movie doesn't work on it, if that makes any sense. You know? Yep. And uh, so anyway, no, we're not, neither one of us are fans of this, apparently. And this may be one of the ones you're going for, a fellow named Claudio Garian. Uh, he did nothing of note, I mean, at least in terms of cult film. He's poking around 664. But his main film that everybody knows him for was unfortunately also his last, because he died getting a shot in a bell tower. Uh, he actually fell from the bell tower, and that was it. Uh, so his what we become, you know, considered, oh, yes, his promising career. He didn't have a promising career. This film was notable, and then it became more notable because he died during it, uh, which was a bell from hell. Uh, I remember they used to show this truncated all the time on Channel 9 or a local uh, WOR uh, syndicate. Have uh, actually, edited the version? Yes. Yes. Which is actually the, na- the station that used to show Joe Franklin, which I still love them for. Uh, somebody's put out the Joe Franklin disc, please. Uh, I love that show. Uh, but anyway, uh, Bell from Hell was, I found it, especially as a child, really kind of like, oh, this is gross. Uh, but later on in life, I became appreciative of it more. Again, very, very misogynistic, very dark in what it's saying. He's obviously got a problem with women. Um, it's got uh, Vivica Linfors is in it, who pops up in a couple of these things. Uh, nobody else you would recognize other than Christina Von Blanc, who was in a couple of Franco films. That horrible Virgin Report, the thing that he did to try to get in on the, uh, the Schoolgirl Report films from Germany. Uh, Virgin One of the Living Dead and Bloody Moon, of all things. And interestingly, Armando Crispino's The Dead Are Alive. Yeah, so here she is in this one. Uh, basically, this guy who is a nut job, literally, he's a guy with a lunatic asylum, uh, goes back to visit his family. And his mother is like in a wheelchair, but she's also a beekeeper. And you can guess where that goes. Uh, and he's got some kind of thing going where I think he's coming on to one of his sisters, like the younger one. And then, you know, these toughs come around, like he was getting these Spanish films. You know, they always have the gang of toughs that comes around and gives you shit, like in um, uh, Horrors from the Tomb. Uh, and then he takes them on, and they, all kinds of stuff goes down. But in the end, he basically ends up 
either trying to screw or killing off his entire family, uh, you know, all these sisters and stuff, uh, and hanging them from meat hooks and all weird, weird stuff. Uh, but then again, you know, is it real? Is it all in his mind? He also pulls like pranks. He's got. Uh, the, I remember like uh, my crazy friend there used to talk about like the thing in TV guy about you know his macabre pranks he pulls. Uh, where he'd do something like, oh, oh, you got me, and he drops like a glass eyeball out, and everybody freaks out, and it turns out it was just a joke. And he's they're laughing, everybody's looking at him like, what are you, fucking crazy? <laughs> this kind of thing goes on through the whole thing. It's very, it's got a very morbid atmosphere. It's extremely dark. It's extremely wintry and atmospheric, kind of like Horror Rise from the Tomb. Um, again, a film that I believe I may have seen it, you know, we showed it to my wife, and I got it on disc, and of course she hated it. Uh, so it's not something to show to a female of your acquaintance. But uh, I do still like it a lot. I think it's a good film. Is it a film for every mood? Is it a film for every taste? No fucking way. Uh, it is dark. It is gruesome. It's distasteful. It's misogynistic as shit. Um, and it's kind of, I don't know, it's got a, a feeling like we'll get to later with Campbell, man, where, um, and I don't know if this is a homoerotic thing or what, uh, but it's something about the flesh being like, yeah, your beat bag, you know, almost like guar, that kind of a thing, where you are disposable. You're not worth anything as a human being. There's nothing more to you than this carcass of flesh you're carrying around, and that ain't worth shit either, and let's abuse it. And I don't know if you understand what I'm getting at here. I'm being a little bit poetic, but that's kind of, if you want to call that poetic, but you know what I mean. Um, I'm being metaphorical. That's kind of what he's shooting for here, and it makes the film not so much unique as dark as shit. It's the kind of thing you would expect to see in the mid-90s, like with the industrial scene, you know, like Nine Inch Nails or Jim Thurwell or somebody would put something out like this, Lydia Lunch, uh, and yet it's here from 1973, which makes it really interesting. Uh, or odd, depending on how you look at it. Um, justly celebrated and justly detested. So that's my two cents on it. So what's your take since you hate it? <laughs> oh, I love Lenny Lynch. I remember those things when when, you, when when I I used to buy them from her. Do you remember back then? That's the only way you can get them from Richard oh, Turner yeah. from her? You uh-huh. to buy them from them? Yes, I do. Yeah, I don't know whatever. Those tapes. Well, some of them then came there out. Was the one Fist like, Loaded and the, the Kiss Napoleon Goodbye I got on disc. Uh, somebody put oh. a couple of them out. But, yeah, yeah. for the most like part. She was invaded, invaded by Snatch via gun. Remember that one? Hey, oh, yes. That's the Richard Curran. I have that. That came out on disc, too. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah, she, she gave the world's worst sloppy blowjobs, too. Ugh. Anyway. But, see, I enjoyed that. That that movie, uh, that short of you. <laughs> okay. I get this girl. I know where she's coming from, especially at that point in my life. I understood the nihilism. Uh, I was all for that in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, where oh, she's no, coming no. from. That's the... why I collected all those things, not because I was a voyeur or curious, because I was there, too. Exactly. Thank you. So, Okay, you understand that. Other people will be like, what I the understand. fuck are you watching this for? What's wrong with you? No, I know where she's coming from. So, Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I know where, <laughs> I, I know where he was coming from, too. Mm. Actually, I see that she resurfaced uh, recently, so she's suddenly really? around. Yes. She's going to mm. be playing uh, tomorrow night at City Winery, part of the uh, benefit for Ivan Julian from Richard Hall. Okay. Ivan has Ivan has cancer, and they're yeah. trying to raise money, and she will perform. 
Are they all gone now? Because I know Quine. Quine's dead, isn't he? Quine is dead. Yeah. So I don't know what but the hell. Quine is dead, but 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 you know, hell's still around, and um, and uh, uh, Jan Xavier is. Uh, yes, he's still to around. Work with him. Yeah, he's like <laughs> a friend of mine. Really? We 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 yeah yeah we used to hang out. Nice. Actually, I, I saw him, I saw him a couple of months ago. I wanted to surprise him. He did a little acoustic gig. In the middle of the acoustic gig, he stops playing and said, "I I I can't play anymore." He goes, "Lois is here." He says, "I haven't seen him in twenty years." <laughs> and then he starts talking to his daughter, and they got a room full of people. And I was like, "Wow, yeah, that, that was so." Did he break into what comes to spurts? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, about this movie, I have a hard time getting past, and you know this, yes. the slaughterhouse stuff. Yes, always and, tough. Yeah. Uh, always tough for me, and this 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 movie, I, I see again. We just discussed another movie, uh, um, Blood Spider Bride, which has a lot of accolades. This movie's bestowed by a lot of people with accolades, critical accolades. You like it a lot more than I do. Um, I've seen it a few times. I'll never watch it again. It's just something... <laughs> it's it's one of those movies just... It doesn't work for me, and then it turns me off. Yeah. And I... I, I you know, you are extensive ex- to a point with animal stuff. Yes. And But I am extremely... And a case in point, <laughs> I don't know how tired this is, but you know, I have the Criterion disc for Judex. Yes. And uh, I, 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 I watched that the other night. Really, really enjoyed that movie. And I found myself at the end thinking, why wouldn't somebody make this again? It could be done. There's many hidden extras on the on the disc. It's like tons of stuff. It's like ten, six things listed and about 20 things on there. And one of them is the art of seeing with one's own eyes, which is one of Franju's first movies, post uh, Eyes Without a Face, which is a horse slaughterhouse movie. I saw I that, yes. It. Well, you know what it is? He's making a statement, just like Candleman, just like Bell from Hell, just yeah, like, yeah. I uh, honestly, he's making a, yeah. honestly just I was like, like one of my favorite books, which is Rashid's Marquise de Sade, which is not what it sounds like. Uh, but the whole story starts off with this young girl being introduced to the realities of life, which involve you know going down to the slaughterhouse and getting you know milk or whatever hell from this calf or whatever to uh, feed her mother and help her out. And yeah, I mean that's definitely in there. The statement is being made of uh, like I mentioned before about you know this this flesh bag that we inhabit being garbage and shit and going back to shit. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, better. yeah. But I, I, I forgot for a moment, and I was watching that. I was like, oh, that's an interesting. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I had trouble I found with that myself. Show. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh no. So, yeah, I, 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 I can make it through some things, you know, uh, some lunchy <laughs> stuff, which we we covered in the past, which <laughs> which I still have problems with, but. Yeah. But I don't know. There was just something in in this in the Bell from Hell, which just I don't know. Maybe it's just so bloody, bloody oppressive yeah. film. 
That's what it is. You're no. tapping into the – you hate Diodato. It's the same thing. It's that cannibal holocaust sort of thing uh, without the supposed moral message. It's just the darkness of it, You know, this uh, prurient thing of – and not in a sexual sense, but in the sense of um, pulling apart the human body for, to disgust yourself with what's beneath. I, uh, I, it, I think – It's a satanic mindset, really, honestly, in the I true sense. I think mainly for me because – because because I I was very dark. Yes. Very certain vision and uh, outlook, and mm-hmm. was at, for a period of time with people that I shared my vision yes. with. Thank you. And then I I adapted from that. And then yes. I am what I am now. And That's why we get along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think might we're like very my similar. friend yeah. Kim as well. My friend Kim also, same yeah. deal. So. Yeah. And I adapted from that. And then, then I realized what I think is more important. And, you know, you, just, you take bits and pieces from things, you know? Yes. No, you don't leave and everything behind totally. It's just you. No, you don't leave everything move behind. On. But, but. Yeah, right, exactly. You grow. Exactly. You grow, <laughs> yes. But, but it's inter- interesting to have the experience. But at the same time, when I see stuff like that, it just taps into parts of me that are like, no, that's not me, and I don't want to even see that. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely will. Uh, well, not everybody else, but I mean, those well, of us, no, you know, it takes you back, if you will. And yeah. Yes, you've gotta, exactly. Yes. You've got to be able to distance yourself from it. That's true. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, so, anyway, so... That was the only film of note for this guy, because like I mentioned, he had died during it and everything before it was it had nothing to do with this. Um, and he threw himself out of the bell tower, I believe. Did he do it deliberately? I wasn't sure. I thought he fell trying to get a shot. I heard different stories about that. I don't know. That's a good question, isn't it? But considering what he directed here... Maybe he threw himself deliberately. I don't know. That's a good. That's a good point you bring up. Let's put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. So then we get another fellow named Carlos Porto, uh, who did uh, El Franco Tirador with Nashi, which again was another one of these historical jobs. Uh, but the film that he's most known for, that. among his very few films, I mean, he's poked around since '65 mm-hmm. doing two documentaries. And then he doesn't do anything until 78, and then stops in 82. Uh, so he really was not that prolific. But the film he's probably best known for is uh, Don't Panic, also known, or better known, if you will, as Satan's Blood. Uh, Louis Barbu's in it again. Um, and, you know, I really like this film. It's got a... Yeah, something about it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's this thing about this couple, and they quote, randomly, uh, run into another couple who in- introduces them to a world of, you know, kinky sex and four ways and whatever else, um, and ritual, yeah. you know, all sorts of things, uh, kind of like what we were discussing before. <laughs> and, you know, the, at the end, there's like a kind of a dark ending, and then they, they end up, okay, wait, it was just, I don't where they got away or it was a dream sort of thing. And then, whoops, here comes the whole situation again. It just, uh, it's got that sort of a loop thing like 
to some extent, you could say like Lindsay's Nightmare City on the light side, but it's darker than that. It's it's saying more than that, and I found it to be quite interesting. I, there's an interesting uh, essay or take on it uh, on the disc that's out right now, uh, the Mondo Macabro disc, where they were trying to say something about how he was commenting on the fall of Franco and whatever else. Which I don't they that. lost the rights to, I believe. Uh, I'm they? not sure what's up with that. Yeah. Um... They did a crazy ass sale recently, and I I I added that to my queue, and they they actually told me that it's not available. They don't no longer have the rights to that title. So I was like, oh shit. Yeah, but I don't buy that interpretation. I mean, I guess you know everybody's got their own interpretations of things, and sometimes they ring true, and sometimes they ring phony baloney. That one rings phony baloney to me. This is more, uh, I don't know. Do you want to say mystical? Uh, it, it's more dark than that. Let's put it that way. There's a fact. There's a feeling of inescapability that you get with a lot of Spanish horror, but it's much deeper and darker than just saying something political. That that's the way I read the film. Uh, you know, I again, always, I, always, I always loved the original title of this thing was Escalofrio Diabolical. Escalofrio, yes. Escalofrio. <laughs> Bungo? Diabolical. Yeah, and, 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 it was it because it was like the cold blood. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It, it could have been diabolical, uh, diabolic, uh, or devilish cold blood. Because uh, you know, like the devil's and that's, supposed to. And that's, <laughs> and that's when I first saw it. That's when I first saw it under under that title in, okay. in Spanish. And I was like, yeah. "What the fuck is this? I have to see this in English." And you know, <laughs> I was just talking. Uh, half hour ago about mom and pop stores and finding things with weird retitled versions and I saw a really super cut version of this in English <laughs> uh, with a, a big clamshell box I forgot the label, god knows but you know, there were a bunch of labels back in the days no, and no. I was like, oh, I already have this <laughs> and was like, in English too but it was like totally different yeah, you know, the English version was like seventy minutes long, and it was like you know, like nearly a different movie. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a good little film. It's a shocker, and and it's interesting movie. Yeah, I definitely like this film a lot. Uh, so, like a lot of things that Mono Macabre used to put out, you know, they're more recent on output. Unfortunately, I'm glad to see them back, but it's been really questionable at best. Uh, but back in the day, they were one of my favorite labels. And it was like, it, they were a safe label. It was like Code Red. And like, okay, you pretty much know that if you didn't already have the movie, if they didn't put it out like a second time, like, you know, Code Red's doing lately, uh, you were safe getting it because it was Mondo Macabre. Uh Nowadays, that's not the case anymore. But at the time, yeah. Well, and, you know, and this actually, is one of the examples. There, are a lot, there are a lot of things they did not get from them. And they recently did this $10 sale, for like two day $10 sale. Right, and I says, "No, let me get those Barry Premium movies because I guess like horrible bootleg versions <laughs> of those, you know, The Warrior and The Devils Three and all those right, The Warrior, yeah, I remember Indonesian things." Mm-hmm. And I, I got a they shitload of stuff in them. Yeah, so those don't hold up that well. I'm I'm not too fond no, of Barry Premium. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I mean, the Prince is uh, nicer but, than what, you know, 
And and the first thing I watch, I watch all the Indonesian movies at one night. And I was like, Well, see, wow, these are really- I do love, I do love, and would love to do a show. It wouldn't be a full show, but it'd be part of it on H. Touch Jalil. His films are great, and they were all in Mother Macabre. But uh, the Barry Primus, nah. Yeah. I don't like him as a person. I, even in the interview, he was pissed me off. Uh, and the oh, films you know, just- I did watch. It's funny you mentioned that. I watched that too, and I said, Well, you don't sound really cool. <laughs> yeah, I was like, fucking asshole. I was like, really? You're taking this crap from him? I, I know they were English and they used to like just deal with people to get the interview. I mean, you can even hear sometimes some of the assholes interviewed on uh, was Ashley West's show there, the Rialto Report. I'm like, why are you taking this crap from these fools? But, you know, nonetheless, that's their shtick. They kind of play it laid back and they get what you want to get out of them. But I'm like, wow, I would have hit this fucking guy in the mouth. Screwberry frame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't play that shit with Italians. I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. So another fellow that was doing Spanish art at the time was a fellow named Eugenio Martin. Uh, he yeah, was poking yeah. around since 1955, yeah, doing, I Yes, I mean something like you know, Golden Goddess of the Real Benny. I mean, he was probably doing adventure films. The ugly ones, I would you imagine, would, like would be. Would I? I bet I would. From the yeah, sound I, think, I think I think Serge knew Brett, actually. Oh really? I love Serge. Yeah, Serge was one of our heroes back in the weightlifting days. I love that guy, especially uh, Thirteen Days to Die. Um, we'll talk about that when we do the Euro Spy. Even though we sort of mentioned it when we did the Creamy Show. Um, so he did a couple of things that seem to be westerns, the ugly one, the record for a gringo. Uh, but then he does, and again, here's another western, Bad Man's River. I have mixed feelings about this one. Uh, Lee Van Cleef's in it, which is good. James Mason in it, which is not. Uh, Gene Willow Bridget is in it, which is neutral. Diana Loris is in it, which was great. She's super hot. Uh, she was in stuff like Super Argo, which I love. White Comanche, Fangs of the Living Dead for Desorio. Franco, she did The Bloody Judge. Uh, she did House of Psychotic Women for Nashi. I love Diana Loris. Um, Gianni Garco's in the damn thing. You know, big uh, spaghetti western guy. Uh, Aldo Sambrell, another one, and he was also in Rene Cardona Jr.'s Beaks and just about all the Sergio Leone films, uh, Bullet for the General. He was even in Jackie Chan's Operation Condor. So he's got a good cast in there, except for maybe James Mason. But uh, nonetheless, I don't know. It was like a weird – I hate to say comedy, and it was too early for – you know, there's a period when the spaghetti westerns kind of devolved into comedies, and then it just kind of died because everyone was sick of that shit. That was a little bit later. That was more towards, you know, 74, 75, 76. This is 71. What the hell is he making a comedy for? So I don't know. I mean, I do like a lot of the cast in it. Loris is super hot. Uh, Levi Cleef is fun as always, but I don't know. It, it, it just bugged me. It, it got up my ass that it was a comedy. It's like, nah, this isn't. This doesn't work. Um, do you have anything you want to say about that one before I move? Anyone's River? No. Yeah. So then he does the one that he's probably most famous for, which is Horror Express. I know you have mentioned in the past yeah. you're not a fan of it. I love this film. Again, no, I am. I am. Oh, you are? Okay. I rate this one yeah. highly among, again, just like we were mentioning before about, uh, yeah. you know, Orgy of the Living Dead there, or whatever the hell it was, uh, Night Orgy of Vampires. This is one that is like one of the, if I'm going to show somebody, oh, it's a Spanish horror film, this will be in the list. Um... Horror Express is – you would think it's British because it's got Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing. Uh, there's another really likable, almost like a Margaret Rutherford type that's uh, – I believe it's Cushing's assistant. You know, all these uh, oh, doctors, historians, yeah. whatever. 
Do you remember who she is? I don't know. I always liked her. I, I, um, yeah, I think I think she's a Spanish actress, though. Then you've got Helga Linné is in it. You know, I love Helga Linné. Um, Telly Savalas is in it, and you know, I always get a kick out of his ass. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I love Kojak, but I love him in all his like, horror films he does as well, and and a lot of his war movies. You know, and some of his westerns. And Telly's always. He's not an actor. He's just a persona. You know, he is who he is, and he's going to be that wherever the fuck he is, goddammit. And I like that about him. Uh, I understand he's kind of a shithead and difficult to deal with and a big head and whatever. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, when you're watching films, you aren't really dealing with the person. And you're like, okay, I get a kick out of this. This guy's cool. Um, and he has kind of an unforgettable role here. Is that Cossack? Is he's like a cop that comes on the train? He's like, well, what? What are you doing, you idiots? I'll tell you what. You tell me there's a thousand-year-old corpse in here. That's the devil. What are you crazy? Uh, but of course, it turns out to be true. What happens is they're archaeologists. They unearth what they think is like, you know, the missing link, essentially. Uh, but mm. somehow it turns out to be if you want to call it the devil or some sort of force that's been around since before man. Uh, and the, the trick is that it opens its eyes. Or an alien. Yeah. It could be that too. Yeah. But I don't think he's really leaning that way, the way he wrote it, but you know, nonetheless, um, there's a crazy religious guy on the, the train, uh, who is very memorable. Well, a fellow named, yeah, uh, and he sort of like a Rasputin type. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Exactly, he's just like Rasputin, because there are Russian royalty on the train, uh, and yeah. he's trying to get the pants of this one hot young girl, and the guy who's actually like the king or whatever is like, you know, get in your place, you piece of shit. You know, it's a, it's, it's a whole dynamics going on. There's, there's personality uh, clashes going on throughout with, among the British, among the Russians, among the anybody else that's on the damn train. Um, of course, it's and Albert, Al- the Alberto train. de Mendoza is the cop. He's great. Yes, he's good as well. You're right. Um, basically the thing opens its eyes every so often and will take uh, possession of whoever looks at you. Know, their, their eyes will open the head and go white and bleed, and all of a sudden they are now whatever this is, the devil, the alien, whatever the hell it is, the Neanderthal man. Uh, and it just keeps spreading like a virus. And eventually most of the people wind up dead. The train winds up falling into a ravine, at least part of it. Uh, typical grim Euro horror sort of an affair, but really, really good. I love this friggin' film. I mean, it's in a decent print already, but it's the kind of film where it's like it's good enough that if somebody put out a cheap Blu-ray and just like boosted it up and threw some extras on, I would actually get it again just to like boost it up because it's that good. There is a Blu-ray. Is it? Really? Because I got it on uh, DVD still. Uh, from the yeah, old Euro Shock by some boutique company. It's like fucking $30. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it any good? Yeah, have you seen know. it? Yeah. No, uh, because it's $30. <laughs> yeah, see, that's it. I'm like, oh, fuck you, $30. Get out of here. But <laughs> the hell you think you got on your hands? Gold? I'm not buying a blowjob. I'm buying a DVD. Uh, but, you know. $30 uh, blowjob. Where? Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Uh, money's worthless now, this. But <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> seriously though, um, really really good film. I always love this thing. Uh, and you know, if you're into cult horror, I can't recommend it enough, especially cult Spanish horror or even Hammer films, because there's enough of that. You know, the Hammer stars and that British feel to it as well. Uh, it's probably a co-production. Uh, so, anything you want to say about this one? Thinking about a thirty dollar blowjob. No, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, 
this, this movie has a lot going for it. You have, you know, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee's 1972 have appeared in so many Hammer and non-Hammer movies at this point, together and apart, that this uh, reteaming of them, if we can say that, um, they're actually both vibrant and working, and they're, like, getting along together, and they're yep. working off each other. And they're yes. working in a in a foreign film, so you know it's it's like it's just really good. It's like the the, the uh, relationships they have with one another is just really working. Um, like this, the cast is is fun. Um, this movie got made. That's my understanding. This movie got made because the damn train was a very expensive model train that they used in Nicholas and Alexandria which was kind of a medium-to-high-budget movie, right? Uh, which went nowhere, kind of like a small Lawrence of Arabia kind of thing. And um, I think it was an art house kind of movie. And they still had to train after that movie came and went and died. And so somebody decided to make this movie. Well, we have to train. We pay a lot of money for this model train. <laughs> So, Horror Express was, was put in the production. Um, believe it or not, I think that's true. Um, it, it's a really atmospheric movie. It's, yes. it's good. It's weird. Kelly Savalas, yeah, yeah. I think by then he was already doing Kojak. And um, it was the early days of Kojak. So he was more, you know, we saw Kelly and the Kelly's Heroes and Dirty Dozen. He's an interesting character actor because... Yes, a lot of times he plays himself, and then sometimes he can actually stretch. So, he's not stretching here, folks. Um, <laughs> he, he comes on the ship with his with his pretty much small army of policemen, and he's not even trying to do an accent. And, and you were very kind before, but you tried to do Telly with an accent. But no, I don't, I don't even recall that Telly was doing an accent, but he had the damn lollipop in his mouth, too. Yes, he did. But you know what? In some kind of absurd fashion, we accept it, you know? Yep. I did. I accepted it. I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And it gets weird, you know, like you described. It's even, it sounds comical and almost corny that this creature would stare at someone, bleed their eyeballs white, steal their mind, inhabit their bodies, and like a virus, it's, it's well-spoken. You know, go on to someone else, go on to someone else, but that's exactly what happens. It's it's it works. It's a yeah, very strange area. Yes, there's this lust for a vampire element where it's like the Ralph Bates character, where okay, yeah, I'm Mister Religious, and I'm gonna put crosses and everything and check everybody out, and oh, the devil's here, watch out. And then it turns out his real wish is to go and give himself over to him, and that's way, how yeah. it ends up. And of course, you know, you just cast him off. And I was like, I didn't need this idiot. I'm gonna go with the next guy. Uh, Really, really effective film. I love films that are set on trains anyway because it's very claustrophobic. Uh, there's not a lot of places to go. I mean, you know, a great place for a slasher film. It's a great place for a mystery film. And it was a great place for a horror so film. That so that means you like the Cassandra Crossing? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I love that one, but yeah, it was watchable. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Why is that? <laughs> no, I keep thinking of buying that movie one day before it disappears because I saw it in the theater. 
yeah, no, it, it's you know, <laughs> I wouldn't put it up there with like one of the greats, but you know, it's it's definitely watchable. Uh, I always enjoy train films, including some of these crappy ones that you reviewed for something weird back in the day. Watched a couple of those recently. Uh, we'll probably talk about them in the Eurospot show anyway. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Your name came up so many times. It'll be funny. Uh, <laughs> like I'll compare my reviews with yours. Uh, but anyway, uh, 1973, he does one more film worth of shit uh, before devolving into things like Call Girl and you know Supernatural and God knows what else they are. They're all just you know, TV movies and such, uh, which was – it happened oh. at Night Marion. Okay. Well, wasn't, wasn't Supernatural – Unless I'm no, confused. not the, I don't think I don't think he's the guy behind the slasher, you know, borderline slasher film with the priest and all that. Um, with Michelle Nichols? No, okay. Yeah, see, I like that one, but I don't think this was his. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe okay. it was, but uh, this one here comes up under Sobrenatural as opposed to Supernatural, so I really think it's a different film. But who knows? I may be wrong. In which case, we're missing a good one, folks, because uh, I did enjoy the film Supernatural, uh, the old 80s, early 80s slasher film, um, as flawed as it was. It was kind of like the boogeyman, uh, Oli Lommel's boogeyman. Uh, but it happened at Night Marion, which was also known as Candle for the Devil, I believe. Uh, this is another one of those films that's sort of distasteful in a lot of respects. It's about these two old bitches that like got a stick up their ass and they're all puritanical. And, you know, they're probably going to vote for Ted Cruz. Uh, that have some kind of issue about you know these women and they're always these girls are always showing off too much flesh and they're sex and sin and whatever. I'm going to put them in our place. So Judy Geeson comes down. She's actually. Uh, investigating because her sister, I think it was, or her cousin, had come to their place and mysteriously vanished. And so she does the same thing and, of course, finds out what the real story is here. Uh, Vic Winters also in this one, who was in a bunch of Nashi films. Uh, his real name is Victor Alcazar. Uh, he was also in stuff like uh, In the Folds of the Flesh, uh, but mostly it was all Nashi films. Dracula's Great Love, Hunchback of the Moor, Car Rides from the Tomb, Vengeance of the Zombies. You know, it works in a lot of respects. It's certainly atmospheric. The girls are certainly pretty. I mean, I like Judy Geeson anyway, but the other girl that was her sister was even prettier. Um, it's just I really hate these things about, you know, puritanical repression or even stuff like The Saucers, you know, the Michael Reeves film, about like these old farts trying to go and live again through the young. And it's like, ah, I don't know. It's like, really? <laughs> That's all. I mean, I understand what they were trying to say. They were trying to make a comment against this, you know, as an anti-societal whatever. But, you know, why do these people even need to exist? I don't, I don't understand why people got such a pull up their ass. They can't live their own fucking life without leaving everybody else alone. Um, you know, so my feelings on this film, everybody goes, oh, Calvary Devil, oh, yes, put it on Blu-ray, yes, put it out again. You know, it wasn't a good film in the first place. It's just got some nice atmosphere and a couple of pretty girls in the middle of some distastefulness. So what's your take on this one? Oh, I, I, I pretty much agree. I was uh, trying to track this one down for years, and then I finally did, I, I recall, with like a 73-minute English-language version, and I uh, was a little disappointed because I thought I was like, oh, this is a talky little fucking picture. And then I finally found the, uh, I think it was 91, 92, that's pretty close, uh, you know, on, you know, uncut or as close as you can get version, and I was like, why is that talking a little fucking movie? <laughs> it's like the same <laughs> thing, it's just longer. Um, 
Yeah, you pretty much hit the nail on the head with that. There, there are a few movies from you know, well, the Sausage Beast in the Cellar, sixty-eight. Yeah, it, it, yeah, same idea. Yeah, Beast in the Cellar is another one. Yeah, this, there's a I wouldn't call it a subgenre, but every so often there are a couple of movies. You know, well, they weren't making them for them, but I think they were trying to. You've know, you got to keep in mind, this time period, there's that whole wild in the streets kind of thing. You remember mm-hmm. that movie? Yep. You know, they're, they're trying to speak to the younger generation. Yeah, they're making and, a statement. Making a statement, yes. So when you, but It's hard to make a statement when you talk about the horror genre. And, and it, it becomes awkward, you know, mm-hmm. to say the least. Uh, if you want to be... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to really think about this one. If you want to be semi-serious and, and have some weight to your story, your words, your film, it just becomes a bit tedious and it becomes a bit pompous and, and it's not entertainment anymore. And so, you know, oh, Pete Jackson did that a couple of times. Do you remember that? Yes. Uh, not Pete Jackson, I'm sorry. Uh, Peter... Um, Frightmare was it? The one with Sheila King? Oh, he's about Pete Walker. He's about Pete Walker. Sorry, Pete Walker. Yeah, I thought Peter Jackson was hate him anyway, but <laughs> no, no, Peter Walker. Remember, we had the Peter Walker show, and and there's mm-hmm. a couple uh, confessional. Which I mean, there's a lot one. of films like that. You know, like you said, Frightmare, Confessional, to some extent, Schizoid, definitely uh, the comeback. Uh, you know, even Home Before Midnight. I mean, these were all. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Pete Walker did that a lot too. Uh, British guy. We actually like, if, if I recall, we actually like Pete Walker's pictures oh, yeah. a lot better than a lot of these other guys, including mm-hmm. the one we're discussing now, because he he was more of an artist. He was he was a talented fuck who didn't get his just just uh, accolades. Right. Um, but he did it on our show, so go listen to it. <laughs> but <laughs> but. Uh, it's a friendly yeah, but we talk uh, Norman J. Warren as well on that show. Norman J. Warren on that show, yeah. But it's 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 a funny thing. It's a funny thing to tackle. And uh, even if somebody had the right, uh, the filmmaker had the right uh, uh, approach in their mind to do this. Maybe they were trying to say something different. It just all comes across as, oh, we've seen this before. You know? Yep. And uh, so that's basically for him. Then we go to a guy that's a little bit better, but again, doesn't do too many films, Jorge Grau. Um, he's poking around since 1957, doing, you know, God knows what, documentaries and shorts and whatever. But in 1973, he does a film that I always found questionable, The Legend of Blood Castle. It's another one of those Elizabeth Bathory historical type things, but I don't know. It's got Lucia Bose of something creeping in the dark. Uh, it's got Ewa Arlen of Candy and Joe DeMato's Death Smiles on a Murderer. I don't know. I, I never liked it. It's not a horrible film. It's certainly you can sit there and watch it. It's just it's boring. You know, I don't know. It's, just, it's not a good cult film. Um, what do you think? Well, I, I thought it tried to. It, it's a kind of movie that ha- has a more of a uh, cult uh, status. Than it should. <laughs> than it should, yeah. I think pretty much people who never saw the freaking thing. Um, 
Because it tries to be Germanic, Germanic when it handles the Bathory thing rather than exploitative. Mm-hmm. Until we get to the points where they have to up the ante in order to get somebody to watch the damn movie. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, no, what's the Fulci picture which also tries to cover this kind of ground? Uh, oh, uh, Beatrice Sensi? Yeah, Beatrice Sensi. Um, and there's a couple other pictures out there that are more graphic. Um, the, they they ended up calling it the Legend of Blood Castle of all things. And there's a couple other titles, too. Uh, exploitative titles because they they couldn't sell the damn thing, right? You know? And there's a reason and for I that. Ju- they can sell because it sucks. Yeah, there's a reason for that. And I, and I think some ju- judicious editing, they were able to cut it down to like something vaguely resembling a light period gothic horror movie, and even then it didn't really work. So then he does one called Violent Bloodbath with Fernando Ray, of all people, who was in stuff like uh, Buñuel's Discreet Charm of the Bourgeois and Obscure Object of Desire, Lena Vrtmuller's Seven Beauties. This guy is an art house guy, but here he is in this crappy like, horror film with Marissa Mel, who did stuff like Diabolic for Bava, uh, Fulci's One on Top of the Other, uh, Lindsay's Gang War in Milan, Beast with a Gun. We've covered all this stuff in the past. You can go back and check out the old shows. Uh, but I don't know. <laughs> Again, this is one of these films that went in there one ear out the other. I recognize the title, but it's just like, I don't even remember what happened to you. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was uh, about a judge, uh, played by Fernando Rey, that uh, kind of snapped out. And um, it's unusual to see Fernando Rey in a part, a part like this. It was almost like yeah. somebody misunderstood what the Italian Poliziotesque uh, were about. And so, since they misunderstood what those movies are about, <laughs> let's try to make a movie about a vengeful judge uh, and and accept that he was on the wrong side. It's, it's a mess. It was yeah. a popular, because it had a very lurid cover on the uh, clamshell. I think it was Independent International, Sam Sherman's old video label back in the day. Mm-hmm. So I had this really lurid uh, with a uh, bearded man raising a hatchet, you know, violent blood, blood was the retitling of that thing. Uh, it's like, I'm sure a lot of people rented that out, like, what is this? But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Only to be disappointed. Uh, yeah, it's not they, a great movie. It's not a great movie. He does the film that he's known for, which is Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, otherwise known as uh, Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. Another top-notch Spanish horror film. Really always a favorite. Uh, Christina Galbo, who was in stuff like What Have They Done in Solange, or uh, even Estorador's House That Screamed, is in it. Ray Lovelock is in it from uh, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man for Diodato, Meet Him and Die, Violent City, uh, Gloria Guida's To Be 20, which I love. Uh, We should do a Gloria Guida show someday. Uh, Autopsy, otherwise known as Machia Solari, Lindsay's Almost Human, Queen of Evil, Play Motel. I mean, this guy was everywhere. Arthur Kennedy, who was in stuff like DiMartino's The Antichrist, uh, that horrible Code Red movie, My Old Man's Place. Uh, it's a good cast. It's dark as shit. There's more of that uh, counterculture against the mainstream playing out, especially with this vengeful uh, inspector that Arthur Kennedy's playing versus Ray Lovelock, who's basically like the biker hippie type, you know, traveling around the country or, or cross country. 
um, and there's zombies. And, of course, there's also actually an environmental message underneath the whole thing. It's really good. It's almost ahead of its time in a lot of ways. And not only is it a great zombie film and a great Spanish horror film, but it's a great echo horror. It's just – it's good in many, many respects. Even as just a, a you know, battle between the generations, sort of like hippie film, it works. I mean it works on many, many levels, and it's disappointing that nothing else Groud did really even came close to approaching this. Um, very much worth your time checking out. Uh, what did you want to say? Anything you want to toss it on this? Yeah, well, you know, every every so often, uh, even in non-genre films, any any kind of filmmaker, somebody makes a movie and it just clicks and everything works. Uh, um, hell, I thought that with Spike Lee's Inside Man, I thought it was like the best thing Spike Lee ever did instead of this bullshit he usually makes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a segue, but. Um, I thought, yeah, I pretty much agree. This, this, you know, echo horror, uh, the good, good political. And the thing about Ray Lovelock's character was he's not only like a hippie biker guy; he was a really smart man. Yeah. So the, the person, yeah, the, he's a smart guy. So he's not just he's, he's not relatable. Just, uh, you know, he's not yeah. like is in something like you know what, what was that live like a cop die like a man where they're just completely obnoxious. These two like homoerotic cops going around and seeing how many girls they can screw and they can beat up uh, and trying to like one up each other. Here he's actually yeah, like that movie. Yeah, <laughs> well, we talked about that one already, but, uh, but, but here he's Christina, he's really relatable. Yeah, Christina, but Christina Galbo is a bit of problematic in this because yeah, she. I think I think that's probably the one weak link in the whole movie. One weak link in the whole movie is that she probably could have been written more or portrayed more as a stronger character. Yep. Because uh, a lot of times she's just, just like afraid and falling apart. And well, granted, she has rights to be. I think the idea of the story is pretty cool, and mm-hmm. um, it's original. I mean, you know, based on the zombie genre before it. And, and don't uh, forget, it's early in the zombie cycle. I mean, this is, I think, the first or second one after Night of the Living Dead. It's pretty much early, yeah, 74, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, so then he does one more movie with actually with Lena Romay in it and uh, Teresa Gampara, and of all people, another guy that we're going to get to in a moment, Jose Larraz as an actor, which is Cartes de Amor de Una Monja, Love Letters of a Nun. I'm not positive I've seen this one, so I, again I can't comment. I've seen it. I've seen it. It's actually if you've seen the Sergio Bergonzelli, uh, talking about Italian scenes, we might have, we might pass him over. Um, the Sergio Bergonzelli love letters of Portuguese nun. You did mention yes. it in passing, yeah. Oh, we did. Okay, Jorge Graus love letters of a Portuguese nun. Why would you make a picture? The same ones are made. But, um, <laughs> and Franco made one as well. <laughs> and Franco made one as well. I don't know. This stuff was. I can't remember though. You know, uh, the, the nasty nun cycle, very very popular at this period of time. Um, it's unmemorable. There's nothing I can recommend about that. Yeah. So here's one I that I think we both hate. And you hate more, which is Aloy de la Iglesia, who's only he's about twenty three films, but the only one that anybody ever talks about is Cannibal Man. Uh, mm. 
again, it's got Emma Cohen in it from a bunch of nasty films and Legend of Frenchy King, Cutthroat's Nine. But the strange love is a vampire. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's obviously extremely homoerotic. There's this guy going around, even though he supposedly has a girlfriend, which I think she is. Um, he's got this whole relationship with his older is he his neighbor? I, I wasn't sure what the deal was there. Uh, and I don't know that this. All of a sudden, he starts killing people off. He kills off women. And, you know, the stench starts coming out, and he's trying to hide it. But the, the point isn't just that he's a psycho killer uh, or even the depressing nature of his life because he works in a slaughterhouse. He's got, like, he's a no-hoper. You know, he's basically living on the balls of his ass in this dumpy little place in the, a poor, dusty, desert-type town in Spain. Uh, but it goes beyond that to being, I don't know, just queasy and distasteful in a lot of respects. I mean, I could see, like, you know, devotees of the lavender film really gravitating to this. Like, ooh, he's got a relationship with a father figure. And uh, I don't know. It just – it doesn't work for me in any respect. I don't understand why, you know, a mass audience fates it so well. It's kind of like what we were talking about before with the Blood Spatter Bride. I know why the feminist audience hated it, but why do the critics love it? So here I could say, okay, I know why a gay audience might love this film. Why does anybody else like it? I don't know. Um, it's, I don't hate it as much as you do, but it's certainly distasteful and uh, makes you feel icky in a way that stuff like A Bell from Hell only touch upon. Uh, it really shoves it right over the line and goes beyond. Um, I am not comfortable with this film. I never liked it. Uh, it was always kind of a, why is this on my double feature disc kind of a thing? <laughs> as opposed to, oh, look, great, it's Cannibal Man. Like, oh. So how about you, since I know you hate it? Well, yeah, I hate it. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to just say I hate it and then just leave it at that. It's just, it's just tasteful. It, it, but the funny thing is, is this filmmaker, um, made other pictures that also were skirt the edge of taste. Uh, well, we're talking about genre films, so what's taste anyway? But um, like Clockwork Terror with Chris Mitchum, very very seldom discussed. Uh, it's a riff, a futuristic riff on Clockwork Orange and, and the Italian crime movie. It's okay. super violent. It's super nasty. Sue Lyons. Really? And um, a very strange movie. He he certainly had a vision. I'll give this director that. He certainly had a vision, but I think he winds up alienating his audiences so why he didn't last too long. Yeah. Uh, so then we come to a fellow named Julio Salvador, who's basically, again, he's around since 1945, but the only film out of the 13 that he did, so again, he's not prolific, uh, that anybody really cares about is Hannah Queen of the Vampires, which I mentioned earlier, uh, also known as Crypt of the Living Dead. Uh, it's an interesting film. It's atmospheric. It's set on an island. It's got a bit of the feel that... Uh, Mario Baino was going for with Dark Waters, um, you know, or even to some extent The Wicker Man, you know, anything you could think of that's on an island like that. Uh, what's the Charlemagne picture that they did with uh, Cushing and Lee? Uh, nothing but the night, you know, that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, but not, I don't know, I don't want to say not quite as effective. It's different. It's more of a Spanish horror, dark feel. Uh, 
Uh, Andrew Prine is in it, which is interesting. He always was in strange films like Simon King of the Witches and Centerfold Girls and Born of the Naked Dead. Uh, Mark Damon's in it, who was in stuff like Luigi Bastello's Devil's Wedding Night, uh, Requiescent, the, the weird uh, spaghetti western, uh, Baba's Black Sabbath, Corman's House of Usher. Uh, we just saw him in the Eurospy the other night. Uh, Patty Shepard's in it, who was in Picard Small Slugs, National Assignment Terror, World of the Vampire Women, uh, Bardot's Legend of Frenchie King again, uh, My Dear Killer, Hannah Queen of the Vampires, which this is, Teresa Gampera's in it, uh, Frank Branya's in it. Uh, you know, it's got a good cast. It's, I don't know, parts of it work well. I like when they discover the old church uh, and that it's been desecrated. Uh, there are moments in the crypt that work. There are some moments uh, where they've, they've got, like, they're out in the hill and these farmers are, like, harassing them and uh, you know, they knock them into the pit, basically, where he finds the crypt. Um, there are scenes that work. There's atmosphere that works. But does the film itself really work that well? You know, I didn't think it was that fantastic in its DVD incarnation, which was like VCR or something. But then Vinegar Syndrome put it in a Blu-ray and really cleaned it up, and it looked a lot nicer. But it still isn't like a great film. It's like, okay, well, I appreciate that. It's better than it was. Um, again, it's an also-ran. It's like something you're sort of glad to have in the collection as long as you didn't pay much for it. It's just like, eh, whatever. So what about you? Do you have anything on this one? Wait. Is, this is also the movie that Andrew Prine also said that he wound up directing some of it. Remember? Yes, he did. Uh, I don't know if it's true or and, not, but he uh, said that. And it was kind of controversial because he, he says he directed more than other people said he did. It gets so complicated. I don't know. <laughs> so, so, sort of like, so whose vision, is, you know, the final version is whose vision? That's the big question, you know? So, uh, I don't know. I kind of agree with you because, you know, when it was new kind of movie, um, it was certainly a different movie, but it's very slow. It's talky. You know, it's anything that was shot in the Greek, Greek Isles at that time period was certainly different looking, but also very slow. Um, yeah. Uh, like the the Peter Cushing Minotaur, remember that? Uh, yes, Land of the Minotaur, the, the Devil's Man. Man I love Minotaur. that film. Yeah, but it also has its problems. Oh yeah. And uh, a couple a couple of movies with William Sylvester, Devils of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one that was like sixty five, sixty six. That's another picture from that. Or the early uh, Nico Mastarakis films like Island of Death or Blood Tide. You know, I talked to Nico uh, on Third Eye back in the oh, day. Yeah. Great interview. Uh, lots of funny stuff there. But again, same idea. I mean, The Wind is another one they did a little bit later. Um, very scenic, you know, gorgeous settings, but it has that sort of breezy, slow, summertime sort of a feel to it. So, yeah. Whatever happened to Wings House? God knows. I used to love Wingshauser. Again, you might read between the lines for some really funny shit about him in the Nico Masterox interview, uh, but uh, you don't have to read too far either. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I used to follow him. I enjoyed his crappy films he was doing back then, uh, like HBO and Cinemax and all that. Who knows? Maybe he just did too much coke and that was it. Um, interesting well, character. Vice Squad was like his ultimate movie, remember that? Yes, I do. Uh <laughs> 
So I guess it's for Julio. So Manuel Cano did, uh, again, nine films, nothing much. Uh, he did a couple of Tarzan films, Tarzan and the Brown Prince and Tarzan and the Golden Grotto. But the one he's best known for is Swamp of the Ravens, which popped up on, uh, I believe, something weird on a double feature. Uh, and the interesting thing about it, or the most interesting thing, is that Fernando Sancho, who was in you know Spaghetti Western regular and was also in DeSorio's uh, Return of the Blind Dead and Demon Witch Child, shows up here as like a – overweight, disgusted sheriff uh, or, or detective, if you will. And there's this whole atmospheric thing, like, in a literal swamp with, you know, skeletons. It, it was almost like, um, if you remember the Mexican film, uh, what the hell was that one? Swamp of the Lost something or other. It was one of those uh, Gaston Sancho's films. Uh, not The Living Coffin, but the other one. Uh, that's kind of what it was like. You know, you got like skulls on poles in the middle of a swamp, and there's this hut on stilts, kind of like Baba Yaga's hut, and you know, there's atmospheric moments to it. Uh, Sancho's performance is filled with like character bits that are just hilarious. You know, him eating sandwiches and throwing them on the ground for the pigeons and cursing people out and God knows what else. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a strange film. I did enjoy it. I, I will say that. But you know, is it a good film? I don't know. Uh, anything you want to throw in on that one before I move on? Was this directed by the same director as Necrophagus, Graveyard of Horror? No, no, this is not uh, Canal. Uh, I think he okay. is... Well, anyway, we'll get there. Uh, Narciso Ibn and Serador did about 30 films, uh, but the ones that anybody knows are The House That Screamed from 1969 and Who Can Chill a Child. I like Who Can Kill the Child. It's kind of like a zombie slash siege film, uh, but the thing is, uh, it more preys into, to some extent, the whole yuppie paranoia about being a parenthood, but also just uh, for somebody like me to just hate children <laughs> on around them. Uh, because, you know, I was like, oh, the children, we can't do anything to the children. Of course, they're all fucking murderous killers, uh, <laughs> which is kind of like real life nowadays. Uh, but anyway. Uh, great film. I enjoy the shit out of it. Uh, and of course, the big reveal at the end, even though they kind of get through this, is that, oh, she's pregnant, so she has one of those within her. Dun, dun, dun. So, you know, again, it's playing that it's alive sort of Rosemary's Baby thing, but I think it really works. Uh, the one that doesn't work so well is The House That Screamed, and again, another one that the critics fucking love. Uh, it's this French uh, girls' school, basically, and you know the usual girls' school situation with lesbians and all kinds of shit going on. Christina Galbo <laughs> from What Have You Done to Solange and Jorge Grauslet's Sleeping Corpses Lies in it. I don't know. I never liked that film at all. It's not horrible, but it's just like, eh, whatever. Uh, so, what's your take on those two films? Um. Well. <clears throat> The one about the island with the crazy kids that are killing people. It, it was sometimes atmospheric. I don't know, it's just something was missing in it for yeah. me to really connect. I, I'm not quite sure whatever it was. You know, I've seen it a few times. It just seems like there was something that wasn't connecting for me for that one. Now, The House on Scream, Lily Palmer's in that, I think, too. Yes. She was like a big, big uh, famous actress back in the day. Uh, the day being the fifties, maybe or the forties. Um, it's a. I think it was a movie that was marketed very well, <laughs> but it just didn't have it had great posters, had a great trailer, 
You know, they market it like an upscale Nashie movie, like a house that screams, 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 you know, that whole kind of thing. Yeah. I, I don't think the movie lived up to its hype. Um, yeah. It's just... What it was, it wasn't. You know, it was a period piece. It was uh, yeah. very akin to um, The Murders in the Rue Morgue, which with uh, Jason Robards, mm-hmm. kind of like uh, you want to make a... Uh, I, I hate to say arty, but a, maybe a theatrical kind of... It well, does not have theatrical. Yeah, yeah, it has like a bit of a theatrical flair to it. Just you know, some people trying some different kind of movie, and it didn't work for me. So then, uh, Raul Ortigo, who is only known for he did a he's actually a cinematographer, and a couple of his credits were for other Spanish directors. He did The Demons for Franco, uh, The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein for Franco, uh, The Cannibal Man for Lloyd de la Iglesia, Horror of the Zombies for Desorio. Perversion for Francisco Lara Polyp. Uh but he was only director of three films, but one of them was, again, I wouldn't call it one of the greats of Spanish horror, but one I always enjoyed in late night TV back in the day, they used to like Fright Night all the time, uh, which was well, Monte de las Brujas, which is Mountain. Uh, Patty Shepard's in it, uh, and Luis Barbu, uh, Barbu being more of a Franco person, and Patty Shepard being all over Spanish horror and Nashi and whatever the hell else. Uh, we've mentioned her credits before. You know, it's one of those – it reminds you of uh, the Filipino one that uh, Tom Selleck did. Uh, what was that? Uh, Daughters of Satan. Uh, sort of that thing where it's uh, a commentary on – not necessarily the new man, but you know that kind of thing that was going on. Alan Alda sort of reaction to, oh my god, you know, the, the feminist movement's coming here and they're going to usurp me and women are more dangerous than I thought. You know, and they're going to take over and I think they're sweet and innocent, but they're really got evil designs on me. So it's got a cheesy subtext, but uh, I did enjoy the atmosphere of it. There's some really weird um, small village sort of stuff going on as he goes up the mountain. Uh, I believe there's something about a fog that keeps coming in and there's like hallucinations. Oh, wait, are these women really dancing naked around the mountain or did I just dream it? Did I just sleep with this woman or was I sleeping with an old lady? Or you know, It's really got that hallucinatory feel to it. It's very quiet. The dubbing, the music, or the absence of music is very entrancing. It's It feels like a wide-awake nightmare. And in that respect, I really enjoy it. Is it a great film? No, but I do like it a lot, and it was worth mentioning. Uh, what did you want to say anything about that one? It was, it was a very hard film to track down for the longest time because, yes. for some reason, uh, in the days when they were doing the VHS versus Beta thing, which is better, you know, sort of like Blu-ray or DVD, but this was bigger back in the day because I always thought stuff on Beta looked really nice. Um, but Beta lost out. And for some reason, The Witch's Mountain was one of those movies that was prolific. Uh, you could find a lot in Beta. You could not find a damping on, on VHS. And it ended up, uh, if you had a pay, uh, Beta copy, it was like this really very rare item to have. And uh, I guess that's where uh, Midnight Video was one of the first... Uh, First, uh, um, uh, what did we call this before? Gray market. Gray market labels to actually have the witches' mouth. Because then everybody wanted the copy. Only just poured it over from the beta. 
I actually found a store that was going out of business and had a box load of beta tapes. And guess what was in there? <laughs> Mountain. Wow. And I said, damn, I'm going to copy this damn thing on DVD right now. Uh, <laughs> right now, it's on one of those so, yeah. Blu-ray, or not Blu-ray, sorry, those box sets that came up from those cheapo labels. Like, you know, it's one that say, like, like, horror or something. I think like 50 movies on it. Oh, like uh, Mill Creek? Yeah, yeah, it's a Mill Creek job now, but nonetheless. Hey, you know, I, I, I can't fault Mill Creek. Um, stuff is, you know, it's like, what does it cost? 50, 20 bucks? And you got like 100 movies? Yeah. And there's some crazy stuff in there. Some of the stuff is really yeah. good and does not come out otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, there's some crazy stuff. In there. And there's stuff that used to be on TV years ago that nobody's ever put out or never will. So, yep. you know. A lot of TV movies, are... like when we talked, uh, what's his name, Dan Curtis. A lot of yeah. uh, Bill Rabane movies that when I interviewed him on yeah. Third Eye. I mean, that's where you find this stuff. It's interesting shit on these boxes. Some some Hercules movies some and some of the better ones, too. And some... Uh, some really a lot of really good regional stuff. Demons of Ludlow was that Rubain? Yes, that's Rubain. Yep, it's my favorite uh, Rubain. Um, lots of uh, the the Vanishing Factor, all kinds of oddball titles. You might even have, and, you know, I was saying earlier about like things being retitled. There, there's like weird stuff in, in these collections. So yeah, the prints are sometimes bad to each, and sometimes they're very very watchable. So, yeah, sometimes know, they're better than you think. I don't know where they get this stuff from. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. You know, and, and I, I think they slowed down a lot to the point where, like, they hardly do it anymore. Yeah. So maybe somebody's maybe they've been attacked by somebody who actually owns the rights to a movie they put in a box with, like, 50 other movies. But, <laughs> it's uh, possible. It's possible. Yeah, they have a Spaghetti Western box. It's, like, absolutely Yes, I have that one. That's what I was referring to before, one of them. Yeah. And those are great yeah, yeah. prints in that one. Every one is great. It's like a widescreen. Yeah. You know. yeah, where are these things coming from? <laughs> what I think I heard is that they were stealing them from German DVDs. Uh, the Germans had released a lot of spaghetti westerns in really nice prints. And then I guess these guys ported them over. I don't know. That, that's just what I heard. I have no idea of how true it is. Well, you know what? That's still time-consuming. That's still time-consuming. Yeah, sure. And so the Germans are selling them over here, so I guess. <laughs> it's not really fair game, yeah. but I understand. Uh, so now we go to Francisco Laura Polyp, who did another film that I like a hell of a lot, and which I do kind of consider it one of the better Spanish horror films, though everybody kind of mocks it for some reason, which is uh, Murder Mansion, which was really released under the title Maniac Mansion. Um, but. You know, I remember getting that on VHS back in the day from, like, what the hell was it, uh, Fox Video or something. Uh, I love that movie. Ida Gali, uh, actually, I'd seen it on Friday Night First, uh, who was better known as Evelyn Stewart, who was in stuff like Weekend Murders, Eagles Over London, Lindsay's Knife of Vice, Fulci's The Psychic, Sergio Martino's Case of the Scorpion's Tale, uh, Bloodstained Butterfly for Tassari, and Alberto Delbez, who was in uh, Franco's Erotic Frights of Frankenstein and Cutthroat's Nine. But basically, it's an old dark house sort of thing with a Spanish horror touch. So there's a lot of atmosphere. There's this whole creepy thing where this girl uh, in a limo basically crashes right through the gates of a cemetery. And there's this creepy, like, undead driver and, you know, the, the supposed passenger, like a vampire girl. And they're coming through the fog in the middle of the night. It's all lit like a Mario Bava movie. 
she runs to this house. A whole bunch of people wind up staying there, and then there's like dubious things going on. Are they supernatural? Is it really just some whole thing about a will and people trying to bump each other off? You know, it's you got to stay the night and find out. People are screwing each other in front of the fireplace. There's like you know portraits wives that move. All kinds of stuff going down. It's a really creepy, really, really good film that for some reason has a bad reputation. And maybe because of that, once again, it's one of these films that you can only find on one of these budget sets because nobody's really officially released it. Somebody should, though. It's a good film. Uh, so how about you? What do you think? Oh, no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you a lot. Um, it's a really good effective thriller. Actually, one of those movies that also had like two or three versions, which I mentioned earlier. I, I know it was on back in the VHS days. It was showed up two or three times as one title, one title, and you weren't sure you had that movie until you realized, I've already seen this. Yeah. And then you had to place yeah. which movie the, it was. Not just seeing it on uh, Fright Night there, but I remember the version that I got it from on VHS back when was some cheap mm. thing where it said Murder Mansion, and it was like a door knocker, but it was like a demon's head on a door knocker, and that was the whole cover. <laughs> and the back was just like text, no pictures. Great movie. Uh, he did this one other film. Yeah somebody, should, yeah, somebody should put it out. Yeah. He did one other film of note, uh, Perversion, which I mentioned earlier with uh, Naduska, who I always liked, a uh, pretty model, Polish girl, and uh, Teresa Gimpera. But I don't remember seeing this one, so I can't comment on it. Um, Stuart Gordon actually did one that I sort of consider a Spanish horror because it's got Francisco Robal in it and Macarena Gomez, who is rather pretty, and it's an all-Spanish cast and setting. It was one of those films I wanted to mention earlier when I was talking about the island setting of um, uh, Hannah, Queen of the Vampires, because Dagon yeah, it feels yeah. like that. Uh, technically, it's just another one of his Lovecraft adaptations. And to be honest with you, it's one of his more successful Lovecraft adaptations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's very atmospheric. It's very strange. And again, we're going into Dark Waters territory. So once again, another nod to Baino. Um I just always like this film. And it is the best, the best adaptation of Shadow Out over in Smith you will ever find. Nobody's going to stop this mm-hmm. one, trust me. Uh, really, really good. Um, let's see. There's not too many people left. I was just trying to get through the people that have one film apiece here. Um, there's a fellow named Jose Maria Elorieta who did El Espectro del Terror with Maria Pershi, uh, who was in a couple of Nashi films and Disorial films. Betsabe Ruiz, we mentioned before, also from Nashi films. Uh, Victor Alcazar, Vic Winner, who was also in Nashi Films. Um, La Yamada del Vampiro, who had Loretta Tovar, who was a DeSorio regular. Um, and Feast of Satan, which is the only one that I know for sure that I haven't seen, uh, which has Teresa Capara in it. And that's more of a – it's set out on a boat, like a pleasure cruise kind of thing. Uh, I would almost call it like a Jalo in a, in a weird way, but not quite. Um and let's see, what else can we throw out here? Uh, Crowley, uh, the Bruce Dickinson uh, or written film or directed film, was really apparently directed by a fellow named Ricardo Islas. I definitely like that film. Uh, it's not accurate in any sense, but you definitely get a sense of the man in a certain respect uh, in the middle of all the sci-fi comedy. Apparently this, this college professor is taken over by the spirit of Crowley through this machine. It's, it's ridiculous, but fun. Uh, the, the scenes in the boardroom alone are worth watching. Um 
Jordy Digo did uh, Devil's Kiss. He was the writer of Nashi's Exorcismo, which I always liked. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a bizarre movie. I like Devil's Kiss a lot. Uh, it's another one of those ones that came out on the, uh, whatever that was, the Euro Horror thing from Image way back in the day. Uh, Sylvia mm-hmm. Solar is in this. Um, Olivia Mateau, it's another Euro scene regular. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> Evelyn Scott. It was in a couple of Franco films, including some that I haven't seen, like Midnight Party and Shining Sex. And she was in Jean-Marie Pallardy, who we talked about during the uh, the French films, and My Body Burns, and uh, You're Seen as Convoy of Women. Uh, let's see, Maria Silva, who was in Franco's Dr. Orloff, and Nasty's Mummy's Revenge, Curse of the Devil, Disorder's Tombs of Blind Dead. Good cast, uh, some very attractive women. And it's kind of weird. It's, it's almost like a Dr. Frankenstein film with a bit of that sort of nashy, let's bring some vampires or Satanists in that too. Uh, and it's set around a graveyard, and there's like a hulking manservant. And, you know, um, it's pretty good. I, I definitely like it for what it is. Uh, let's see. Who else is it's there? It's like uh, Lady Frankenstein with, with, with Satanism and the occult and, and mysticism. Very strange. Yes, and a gorgeous woman who's the lead daddy or whatever that you know is not not averse to going and sleeping with everybody in sight to get her way. Um, Juan Antonio Bardem did about twenty eight films. He apparently was the guy who finished Bell from Hell after uh, Serador or whoever the hell it was uh, fell from the bell tower. Uh, but he was more known for a film that called The Corruption of Chris Miller, which for some reason you can't get on DVD over here right now. But I remember seeing it on TV a lot. Uh, Gene Seberg's in it. Um, Barry Stokes is in it, who was in uh, Norman Warren's Prey and Ups and Downs to the Handyman when we talked about those Slap and Tickle films. Uh, Perla Cristal's in it, uh, who was in some of the Nashi and Franco films. Gerard Titchy again. You know, again, I haven't seen it in a long time because it's not on disc, but uh, it is what it is. It was kind of a uh, satanic slash ghost possession film. Uh, and the last guy that we should mention, at least in passing, is Jose Larraz. Uh, who did the excellent Vampires, uh, which uh, had some people like, I believe Ned Yuska was in that one as well, uh, and uh, Maria Morris, pretty blonde girl. Uh, he did The House That Vanished uh, with Judy Matheson, who was in stuff like Twins of Evil, Lesser of Vampire, Crucible of Terror. That's, that's the really good one that nobody's ever freaking paying attention to. That's a really good one. Uh, he was in Symptoms, he did, which is coming out uh, pretty soon, I think, from Mono Macabre. I've not seen this one yet, but it's got Angela Pleasance from The Godsend. And from oh, I hate, them. I hate them. It's such <laughs> a mistake for them because The House That Vanished is so much better. Yeah, I think it would have been a better film. Um, he did something called The Violation of the Bitch. I don't know what the hell it is. It almost sounds like a porno. Um, oh, it's part. It's part. And actually, if you want to see... Helga Lenenka, as close to porno as possible, that's the movie. Really, because he also did Stigma and Black Candles, both of which Helga's in. Uh, and I know for a fact in Black Candles, she gets really close, too. I was like, wow, okay. Um, and I like both of those films a lot, especially Black Candles. Uh, Stigma had Christian Borromeo, who was in Argento's Tenebre and Diodato's House on the Edge of a Park, Fulci's Murder Rock. Uh, and Tomato's Pleasure Shop on 7th Ave, of all things. And Alexander Bristato again from The Champions, uh, and Helga Linnea, of course. Um, mm. But that one was more like a twisted, uh, again, familial thing with the kid that's like, you know, is he like gay? Is he hot for his mother? What the hell's going on? I don't know. Uh, it had aspects that were. Well, that, that was also a theme, though, that he repeated from The House of Vanished. 
Okay. It's also in there. Yeah. But Black Candles was much better than that. And, you know, uh, Vampires, everybody pretty much knows it's in the cold horror. I always enjoyed that film. It's certainly one of the sexiest vampire films, uh, if not ever, then certainly to that time, you know, the mid-70s. Uh, well, if we, had, if, we had, yeah, if we had more time, we could certainly yeah. talk about Laurence more at length, but we don't. So. We don't. We're, like, running way over here. So I just wanted to kill everybody off here so we can say goodbye to Spanish horror. <laughs> Well, uh, not too much longer, please, because I, I have to. No, we're done. To. We are done. Okay, good. Uh, so, yeah, uh, so unfortunately, I didn't get to the wreck movies, and um, um, which I mentioned on the outset. But maybe we'll try to squeeze them in somewhere along the lay the way. Yeah. So uh, that is it. Uh, next week we will be talking. Actually, maybe that's when we can do it. Cinema south of the border. Uh, Coffin Joe, Emilio Vieira, and Isabel Sarli. Uh, we'll be going south of the border to sunny South America. Uh, a true pioneer in outsider cinema is Jose Mojica Marines fought both poverty and governmental censure to create and release his homegrown cinema of philosophical and literal transgression using throwaway celluloid short ends and scratching special effects directly onto the emulsion to bring his uniquely Nietzschean anti-clerical Jado Caixão, bearing on his shirts as Coffin Joe, and faux messianic madman Finnis Hominis to an outraged but fascinated citizenry. Allegedly rediscovered and granted his English language moniker by none other than something weird impresario Mike Rainey, at least you believe the interview he gave me, uh, their VHS reissues of these forgotten early 60s to mid-70s pieces of art, Modi, uh, brought what had been an exclusively South American boogeyman, complete with a series of horror comics hosted by and featuring him, into a somewhat controversial international attention. We'll also be moving further south to chat about free-spirited Zoftic Argentinian hot tamale Isabel Sarli and her enabler, Armando Bo of Fuego, for example, and the quirky sex horror of Emilio Vieira of films like The Deadly Organ slash Feast of Flesh, Blood of the Virgins, and Curious Dr. Hump. So it'll be a party down south of the border next week, only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. So uh, thank you for bearing with me as we tried to kill this off. It went a little longer than even I thought. Uh, and we will see you next week. Any final words? Oh, no, it's good. See you next week. Thanks for listening. And here we go out. So thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our little chat about uh, Spanish horror. Uh, next week, we go south of the border to talk uh, Argentina and Brazil with Coffin Joe and others. Uh, if you would like to get in contact with us, comment suggestions, or your filmmaker musician, join us on air. Drop us a line at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash one or our website at weirdstones1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash weirdstones1 or at weirdstones1. Chris is at the Goldmine, but at the Online Network, I'm going to upgrade.